is the podcast about rugby. Uh, I am Adam, coming to you from Johannesburg, and uh, I'd like to say welcome to Nicola, joining us from Hello. Some, somewhere in New Zealand. Where in New Zealand? Wellington, yeah. Oh, the capital. Not I know Auckland's Canes not fan. the capital. Canes fan. What? I'm a big Canes fan. Are big Canes fan. Is this true? Well, yeah, arguably. I don't really um, <laughs> watch rugby, though. <laughs> So you weren't that gutted when Bowden left for the Blues? Um, I think you've just broken the news to the end. I've heard a rover. And uh, tell us, how, how is the World, World Cup hype uh, in New Zealand? Uh, are guys getting excited? Um, yes, there are lots of people getting excited. Is it? So is the country... I'm a bit indifferent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you will not be watching the... the... New Zealand's first game against Africa next Saturday. Uh, I didn't actually know that it was um, on next Saturday, so <laughs> we'll have to see. Okay, well, well there you go. Uh, the, uh, Nicola has kindly joined us because uh, she, she's always been a faithful pod listener and reportedly has uh, listened to more pods than I've participated in. Thanks, Matt. So uh, the, today we're going to just be doing a basic, we'll call it rugby for noobs, uh, just a very quick basic breakdown of the game, it's various rules, or some of them anyway, and it's just from aspects, come from backs to forwards. Um, and also, it's just it's also nice just to um, hear a voice that will hopefully not make fun of me. You know, it seems like everybody... <laughs> kind of... <laughs> oh, I'm not sure about that. You've clearly been contaminated already uh, by um, Matt and Ant within a few minutes. Uh, and, and by uh, listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> I do bring it on myself. <laughs> And I know you're going to have to just shoot off just very briefly. Uh, a friend, your friend of yours is, busy, is running a marathon. Uh, how, you, how are you otherwise? Yeah. You're not running a marathon, are you? I'm, you, I'm you, definitely not running the you're marathon. You're not running it as um, we speak. You're doing the pod while running a marathon. <laughs> I would be very impressed with my breath control if I was making this little noise if I was you know, two and a half hours into a marathon. <laughs> no, but to be fair, Ant, if you were running a marathon, you'd also be carrying a kayak. So yeah, that's There'd true. be no space yeah. for potting equipment. Yeah, there would be no room heavy, for... You know, so. uh, and is it good um, marathon weather in Cape Town? It's actually almost perfect. It's kind of overcast, fairly cool. Um, so, it's, you know, people aren't going to overheat. They started super early, but there is a little bit of northwest blowing, so some guys will have some headwind on the way home for the last 10Ks or so. But as marathon weather goes, it, yeah, it couldn't be much worse. Okay. No, that's good. I mean, much better, sorry. Joburg <laughs> is sunny and dry, uh, as it always is in winter. Uh, Matt, how are you in Korea? Well, the one, the one um, that the nation's I'm all right. Korea. Is it? Yeah, no, we just had a, it's Korean Thanksgiving now, two sucks, so I just had a four-day weekend where I spent two nights in Seoul, it was a blast. Is it? I just walked in like an hour ago. I feel like you're always you walking in from a bender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's the joys of podcasting on a Sunday afternoon. It's, I can plan my trip home in the Sunday morning and just sort of walk in, put my bags down and sit, at, sit in the sun and just sweat out everything and... <laughs> Ramble at microphone for two hours. Well, uh, this, thoughts. this is run like a military operation, so that's why you can uh, do so uh, very much. Uh, and I'm very sorry about you losing your long pod in the middle of the week, but as we all told you in full, it's a rite of passage to stuff up a recording. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it happens. Um, but I think <laughs> we did a relatively decent um, recovery job. <laughs> um, what was our last pod? Our last pod was like not even by episode 10 as well. Yeah. Was yeah. that? No, Alex and Matt were on it by then. You guys did your first few by yourselves. Yeah, they went. Yeah, no, we did the first few. But yeah, there was it was definitely with Alex and Ben. But I think it was like yeah. within ten. 
So still like within ten. It was like the first sort of two with Alex and Ben on. Yes, yeah, so okay, well, and that's why we now double record. Uh, like double barrel uh, I'm not recording now. Mine just stopped recording. I don't worry. I got us covered this time. I know. I know we're fine. So uh, we can't get to the time difference. It's a bit intense. So uh, yeah. we, we need to make sure we get it right. Uh, all right. Let's just quick uh, wrap up what we're going to be doing today. Some news. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be just doing a rugby for noobs. A very brief breakdown of rugby and all its facets. Uh, chatting a bit with Nicholas about the Rugby World Cup, uh, educating her clearly. Uh, Nicola, <laughs> for the record, I am the most sensible here. And then lastly, we'll just be chatting also a bit about a okay. Q&A. A Q&A between the two of us. I probably will ask a question. Um, but uh, yeah, Nicola, I feel like you've got to bring a, a new view to the pod because yeah. uh, Ant is biased and so is Matt. So uh, I very much appreciate it. It's our natural ant, anti-blue bulls tendency and That's fair yeah. enough. I, mean, I feel like most people are in that camp. Mm. Okay, uh, look, let's, uh, let's begin with the news. So starting off with something quite serious, uh, but inspirational at the same time. And Antonio has some thoughts on this. Gareth Thomas, who I think everybody in the rugby knows, he came out as gay in 2009, is the first international player from any of the major nations to, to say so. Uh, which is a rigid courageous step. At that time, he said he was being blackmailed, and it appears, having just seen the highlights video now, um, in a way, he's been forced to make the announcements, as he said, that he's HIV positive, but uh, he's decided to use that announcement. He's doing a documentary uh, that's going out on Wednesday with the BBC uh, in terms of his journey uh, with, HIV, with the HIV. And I know you had some uh, thoughts just on this. I mean, we'll, we'll chip in afterwards. So, Yeah, um, this is something that's relatively close to me or something that I feel quite strongly about given um, yeah, just some, my dad works with HIV quite a lot and I did my thesis on it and stuff but um, yeah it's obviously a very serious uh, you know, epidemic particularly in, this, in southern Africa uh, where I mean I think the current South African infection rate is sitting at about 12% or 13% but you know in certain demographics it's as high as 40% which is terrifying um, and a lot of the reason for that is you know, that HIV is a very misunderstood um, virus. Uh, so, you know, and despite a lot of education efforts, um, which granted most of them have been implemented pretty poorly, I'm sure we all remember, you know, Allo classes at school in the you know, early to late 2000s. Oh yeah. It kind of was just a token module without actually learning anything. But, you know, that's kind of led to a lot of stigma around the disease, I mean, around the, the, the viruses. And also, yeah, just very poor information, which means people don't understand it and they can't deal with it properly. Um, so before I get onto the uh, issues or the commentary around Gareth Thomas, I'd just like to kind of highlight a couple of things which just I feel most people don't know and just kind of explain why this is just such a such a serious epidemic or how it's got to this point as opposed to something like Ebola. Um, so for example, Ebola, if you get infected, you'll show symptoms within five to seven days, which means you're very, very quickly going to hide yourself away in your house and not um, infect others. HIV, on the other hand, has an incubation, an incubation period of about five to eight years. Um, so if one thinks about the number of sexual partners they and their partners have had over that period of time, um, you know, you get a, um, an effect where the number just gets out of hand. And the length of time involved means that you know, you're sleeping with many, many, many of your partner's partners. And that's why it can you know, get to the scale that it does. Um, it's an exponential effect. And yeah, there's zero symptoms in that period. And that being said, though, there's really no reason for it to be that serious. Um, you know, ARVs are effective and they are available. 
And if one takes the ARVs, you know, you are completely, uh, you're able to live a completely normal life. You are uninfectious um, and it doesn't affect your health. And, you know, it only requires one pill a day, which is you know, a lot less than a lot of people take for <laughs> far less serious things. Um, you know, people are quite happy to take a pill a day for um, their period or for um, birth control or for, you know, blood pressure and things like that, or even just a multivitamin. So it's, it's really not a major impact on your life. But the step that Gareth Thomas has taken, um, whatever the motivations for it is, is a very, very powerful step. Just like when he came out as, as gay back in 2009 um, and showed that, you know, you can be a rugby player and be gay and it really shouldn't impact on it and really try to fight that stigma. In the same way, <clears throat> this is hopefully a similar step where if, if high-profile people come out and say, like, you know what, I'm HIV positive, but this doesn't impact my life. You know, he's going out to do an Ironman. Um, you know, like, it's not a death sentence and it certainly shouldn't impact your life in any meaningful way apart from taking a tablet once a day. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is a very, very cool step from him. Um it's obviously very unfortunate that he has has HIV, and you know if there's some nefarious circumstances that have led to this this announcement, that's obviously negative. But I think this can be a very very powerful agent for change and to really really fight the stigma. Um, you know the stigma around HIV is is one of the, the most serious problems about it. And if people don't understand it, people think it's you know this horrible witchcraft disease in certain communities, and you know it really really affects people's lives. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to get tested. Um, and people certainly don't want to admit to having to take treatment for it. So, you know, if we can normalize this um, and, you know, in a wish case scenario, if everyone can get on HIV, I mean, sorry, I like get on ARVs, which means you are non-infectious. You know, within a generation or two, this, this virus can be gone. Um, but, yeah, it all starts with mm. really trying to share awareness about it and get people tested and get people onto treatment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're saying this, talk about the stigma that I've watched the, that announcement video on the tweet and that now, and, I mean, the same language he's using now is the language that the guys were using almost 20, 30 years ago when in the 90s when AIDS w- was a terrifying death sentence almost. I mean, everything you said now, it's not, it's really not a death sentence, but the stigma is still there. I mean, the language he's using and all that is still exactly the same as if, like when Freddie came out or whatever, like it's still, and yeah, uh, that, as you said, something that you can actually treat in that now. So this, if we can, yeah, the stigma, I think, is what's hurting everything the, the most at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, or feel ashamed to go for a test. Um, yeah. And they're incredibly nervous about the outcome, which is, I mean, fair enough to an extent. Fair. It's a serious thing, but it is very, very manageable. I mean, and manageable to the point where you live a normal life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, because my, my 10 cents is just uh, uh, just to uh, Thomas. It's a very courageous um, announcement to come out with, and I think as yeah. you mentioned, there's a, there's a ton of stigma yeah. uh, around this, and I think... Very good announcement. Actually, I like how he did the announcement as well. It's actually a very... very the wording he used, actually, the, that what I said earlier, it's still very good and very powerful. And it's a very good announcement, I think. Uh, so yeah, um, I think uh, I think if, if you do get an opportunity to watch uh, the documentary, uh, maybe do so. Uh, the more, more people know, uh, the better things are, I guess, generally speaking, uh, when, especially when it comes around the issues of health uh, and so forth. So uh, again, whatever the circumstances, it's plaudits to Gareth Thomas. Uh, just I think be incredibly brave 
given the stigma uh, HIV has in, in making this announcement. So, uh, yeah, I think look, we'll just leave it there. Thanks, Ant. Uh, appreciate, appreciate that comment uh, as well as from, from a position of uh, knowledge. Uh, moving more towards, I guess, uh, the field, stuff happening on the field. Uh, starting in New Zealand, uh, Nicola Luke Jacobson, oh, yeah. does, his, does his name ring any bells for you? Um, I think I've heard it before. <laughs> what, okay. what team does he play for? Oh, he plays, he plays for the Chiefs. And uh, he oh, was yeah. in the All Blacks World Cup squad, but he's now been withdrawn due to concussion symptoms. Unfortunately. Oh, yes, I have heard about him. Yes. Yeah. Late onset concussion symptoms. Yeah. Um, Very concussion. Yeah, yeah uh, apparently. He's been replaced in the squad by Shannon Frizzell. He picked up the concussion apparently in the Tonga game. Or, or before it, holding a tackle bag or something like that? I'm, I'm not quite... Oh, no, this is previous concussion. I know that we were talking amongst ourselves in the group about this seems all a bit uh, odd. Oh. Huh? I... I stand by. I think it was Ben who said it was Hansen in the bed with the frying pan. Yes. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but apparently. What's that he, uh, well, uh, what's the theory, Matt? Why? Why would Ben say say something like that? Well, the theory behind that is because they need to replace someone to get. Because I think the, they brought on Frizzell, who has a bit of lock experience now, if I if I remember correctly. What? Huh? I've no. never heard this name before. Frizzell, Shannon Frizzell, for Frizzell Manazels. Anyway, yeah. um, they brought him on because essentially because they needed to get rid of someone because they're carrying with Jacobson and Brody and fuck they're actually carrying a mess in their sort of. Well, yeah, we're gonna get onto that. Get, get onto that one soon. Um, yeah. yeah, but the other reason is in New Zealand squad. Uh, and if you haven't heard it, you can listen to uh, Ant, Alex, and Phil's pod uh, about World Cup selection. They haven't really picked a specialist six. Liam Squire was carrying the can of that for like the last couple of years, but he's not quite fit. Uh, and Jacobson isn't really a specialist six. He more uh, plays across the loose trio. While but Frizzell's Frizzell, not either, though. He's played there for the All Blacks. So... Yeah, but, still, but they've played how many specialists, non-specialists six at six as well? Yeah, a whole bunch. So, um, who knows? Apparently, he was wearing a cow suit, Nicola. Uh, he was at training during the Mitra 10 Cup, and uh, he was wearing a cow suit. Might attend cup. Might. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is a live fucking correction. Uh, from somebody who who's, has a very casual relationship with Raby, I'll just be correct. Is that fair? Uh, Mitra 10 Cup. Uh, he was wearing a cow yep. suit, apparently, when he got the call from the All Blacks. I, I don't know what the reason was. a cow suit? What does that mean? So what was he? Was he just he was dressed training. as Nick Phipps on the side of the field? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and Nick Phipps, uh, he w- was wearing a car suit in a Sydney bar and got absolutely hammered, hammered and uh, during a bachelor's or something and urinated on the bar or something of that nature. We're not oh, quite sure. In the yeah, somewhere. Let's just say in the bar, not on the bar. Yeah, you can't confirm. Yeah, on the actual. Yeah, that's true. And he, Nick Phipps, being an Australian scrum half, so I don't know what your thoughts are of Australians um, in general. Does that does that fit your thoughts or are you a bit more time. nuanced? Yeah. Um, yeah, generally negative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so there's a lot of subtext in that very short answer, so yeah. rather, rather leave it just, there. Just, just a classic, not a fan. Yeah, not, not, <laughs> yeah, not a fan. Um, yeah, I guess uh, your, your cousin's across the ditch. Okay, no, that's fair. Uh, I guess maybe we'll leave it there uh, before besmirching your good reputation before we even get going. So yes, Luke Jacobson's out the squad. Uh, more interestingly, Sonny Bill Williams, a story came out in New Zealand. Uh, this morning, the All Blacks, they've denied rumours that Sonny Bill is going to be ruled out of the World Cup due to a calf injury. Uh, apparently, Hamish McKay, he cited a trustworthy source that Williams' withdrawal from the tournament is imminent. 
with Hamish telling uh, News Talk ZB, I trust my source absolutely watch this space. However, according to the New Zealand Herald, the All Blacks, they told media in Japan, I think, uh, today, uh, well, uh, I think Sunday morning, Japanese time, that Williams is not returning home without elaborating much on the player's injury status. His leg was strapped, I think, during the last training session. Uh, they now moved to Tokyo. Uh, Williams, he's only played two tests this year. They have till Thursday to replace him. But uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. Ant, are you, are you still with us? No, he's ducked off. Oh, already. he's ducked off. Okay, no, he'll come back. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I have a sneaky feeling we're going to be hearing <sighs> more about this up till Thursday. But that's Sunny Bill so, will be withdrawing. You know what? I'm kind of nervous for this because we've seen that Delendi can maintain Sunny Bill. And so for if, Sun, if Sunny Bill was going to be there starting 12. We don't have to stress on Saturday. But if they bring in Prati or Laomape as 12, I would have thought Laomape might not jump straight into start. No, I think Crotty will probably be starting 12. Crotty would likely then be the 12, Laomape maybe bench cover. But I mean, oh, but Crotty's only got like 40 minutes in him before he forgets he's playing rugby. Yeah, so context, um, Nicola. I feel yeah, this, is a good, this is a good segment. It's, it's like almost like harking back to many of our, our uh, long-term jokes. This is, like, this, is the, this is our like best of clip show. Like yeah. Every time we make an joke. Nicola has listened, by the way. Adam. No, no, I know. Remember. I know, but it's about... I have, but I zone out when you talk about the rugby, so I miss a lot <laughs> so, of it. Yes. So, yeah, well, with Ryan Crotzi, and look, we, we do say it's firmly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, concussion is a very serious issue, as Luke Jacobson's just found out. But uh, Ryan Crotty, he's been concussed a lot over the last couple of years. And actually, in Jacobson's in instance, he missed an entire uh, Mitra 10 Cup season because of concussion Mitra 10 cup season because of concussion he's been concussed I think twice uh, this year and Ryan Crotty's also um, being concussed a lot uh, and Crotty as a player I'm a fan of his he's the sort of every man who I think anybody can get behind he's, he's an all rounded great player very brave even though he's not the biggest 12 um, there's a good hard working 12 I, no exactly he's a sort of like, like, I yeah. think he's the yeah? he's the 12's 12 he's like the 12's 12 um, yeah his, his rugby play style is just the sort of like the sort of sort of uh, caricature you'd want uh, your child to bring home uh, as a possible a long-term partner. You know, it's just good stand-up, all-round good play, a good oak, as as we like to say, uh, if you watch okay. on the field. So uh, yeah, uh, watch the space. I have a sneaky feeling we're gonna we're gonna be hearing a bit about Sunny Bill, and I think you make an interesting point, Matt. What does this do to New Zealand's style of play? And also, who starts? In a weird way, I'd rather start Lamapi over over Crotty, but uh, I think we'll I would it. too. I would too, but I don't think Hansen has the wherewithal to no, start. I think I mean we know Hansen. We've well not know Hansen, but we've seen Hansen pick players so well so far that I'm half surprised. Yeah, Frizzell actually makes sense because mm. he's picked him before in the past, so he's sort of got his name in the. I think Hansen doesn't want to ask for phone number. He's too nervous to ask like. HR for a phone number for a player to draft him up. Oh, so yeah. Only... Oh, yeah. Nicola Lamapi is a Hurricanes player. Uh, Ngani Lamapi. Oh, yes. Yes. So, and he is he is a beast. They call him the minibus. So, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can picture him. Yes, yeah. No, he, <laughs> yeah. He, he's like round and just pure muscle. He's like super duck. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Use closer to home. The Sharks, they've signed everyone. Uh, okay, they just announced this week that they've signed the Cheetahs, Lucy, Henko Fenter. Uh, Fenter, he was part of the... Uh, you mean, you mean Enoch Trevin? I don't know who Enoch Trevin is. Okay. Uh, we, we don't need to... You can mention it after I, I get through the segment. If it is indeed real. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so Fenter 27. He's won the he won the Curry Cup with the Cheetahs this season, and he's also played Super Rugby and Pro 14 right before the Cheetahs. The Cheetahs, Nicola, they're based in Bloemfontein, the City of Roses, which is on the Platteland oh, yeah. in the, in the middle of South Africa. It is very flat uh, and very cold in winter and very hot in summer, and it's a very chilled out. Like place. all of South Africa. Uh, kind of, sort of. Uh, and and being a Sharks fan, um, the Sharks play in Durban. Durban's super humid. So I don't. I, I assume oh, yes. isn't New Zealand humid? I mean, all of it's by the sea. Nah, no, but they get no. by the cold. The sea's cold. I don't know. Uh, they get all the air from the Antarctic. Uh, okay, no, that's true. Sorry to New Zealand's plan, you Nicholas. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're a bunch of nerds. Um, so uh, Fenter, he's joining Madash Tomboy, who's come from the Lions. Uh, James Fenter, as well the Lions, Lucy, and uh, second boys in Notche, who's signed from. The Stormers, and what I think this is quite interesting, Marty's fly half, uh, Jordan, Jordan Chait, did I, did I have I pronounced that right? Uh, C-H-A-I-T, okay, I'm going to assume it's right. He's also probably signed. not. Chait, it's probably, Chait, it's probably. Yeah. Chait, uh, he, Chait, yeah. He's also signed, uh, so I guess he'll maybe play uh, reserve to Kerwin Bosch, and then also even Oxenche. He's also rumoured to be signing, along with uh, Blitzbocker standout Van Cock. Uh, all of these guys are heading to Durban because I know the Dupre army of Dupreas, all four of them, including the three the three kids and Coach Robert Dupre Senior, they've all left. So the Sharks are busy rebuilding the. Yeah, but trees. they've left. They've lost. Akers mm. also dipped off. Oh, that's right. Akers gone. Beast is much probably on his way out now as well. Yep. That's why they signed Ox. Yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah. Ox is a signing for to replace Beast. I mean, yeah. So yeah, shame, man. It sucks for the Sharks, but. Like I know that like I know I mentioned and I know it makes sense that you're gonna sign some names to plug these holes because I mean shit you can't plug that many holes from your academy in one go but fuck I'd ex- I'd think they'd at least try and plug some of these gaps from the academy somewhere. And you've been telling me about Enoch. Adam, it's literally it's literally so. Remember when they announced uh, Henku Fent? It was yes. an anagram. Yes. So Enoch Enoch Trevin is an anagram of the same anagram. Uh okay. So you guys were just fucking with me. No, we weren't fucking. We were just guessing, and then you just ate the pull yourself. Oh. Uh, well, I take my job seriously. You know? Always yeah, you be- take yourself too seriously. I mean, I even accused... Like, I gave you two outs, and you still just fell into it. And, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just leaned into it too hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Well, look, well, okay, never mind. Well, we'll just leave that on the side. Just try to see what else here. Oh, speaking, speaking of the cheaters, uh, Opa Mahoje... Uh, he's been missing for a year. We now know why. He apparently told Netvac24 that he's finally overcoming an injury that has sidelined him for the last 12 months. Uh, Mahoja, he was known captain for the Cheetahs Pro 14 campaign last season, but uh, so just quoting from a story here. Tore his knee ligaments 30 minutes into the season against, Mun- against Munster, playing in Limerick on September 1st, 2018. Uh, then he also picked up another injury in June. Oh, he uh, injured his left quadricep. Uh, and now he still needs to pass the fitness test, but he's confident. He will be fit to tackle the Glasgow Warriors in their Cheetahs 2019-20 Pro 14 opening in Bluffentown on September 27th, which is uh, a week and a bit away. Um, Hodgie's played 19 tests for the Springboks between 2014 and 2018, with his last appearance being the 22-20 defeat to Wales in Washington, D.C. in June. So, Obama uh, Mahodji, he'll be coming back, uh, which is always good to see players coming back from injury. And then, let's see here. Lastly, um... I don't know, I just thought it was a bit of a random story. TJ Perinara, uh, the Hurricanes scrum half, Nicola. He's, uh, he yep, had... I know him. Okay, cool. He, he just said he's opened up apparently about his shame 
of not being able to speak uh, Te Reo Maui. Um, <laughs> right. And he said, I, I, grew up as, I grew up as a young Maori without the gift of being able to speak our native tongue. I was almost embarrassed or ashamed about that for a long time. A paranoia of, uh, oh my god, I really should have read this beforehand. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's N-G-A, there's like a little copy on the A, T-I. Yeah. Uh, what, what is that? Nati? Nati. 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 Oh, actually, I should state that I my pronunciation is terrible, so actually yours is probably closer. <laughs> I don't know. You, you just corrected me on Mitra. Nati. So, so <laughs> yeah, but uh, that one I know. Yeah, so he's on, he's on Nati uh, uh, Rangatihi descent, and he was born and raised in Wellington, suburb of uh, Porirua. P-O-R-I-R-P. Yep. Porirua, where he says he had a great childhood, but... One way you can't speak uh, Tara Maori. Uh, I held that. Oh gosh, yes, it's, uh, I held that. Oh, it's W H A K A M A with a little copy in the A. Wakama? No. Uh, this is the episode uh, we get cancelled for. For the full correction, I I'm a I barely speak Afrikaans even as you can hear, and I get mocked for it by Matt. Uh, and uh, you can describe me as a soti. A soti uh, in in South African parlance is apparently a put down uh, uh, towards English people because uh, there's English people in South Africa who can't speak Afrikaans coming from the metaphor that we have one leg in South Africa, another leg uh, in the UK, uh, and um, how do I put this dedicate? Matt, should I just put a dedicate? You know, I've, already, I've told her what a SOTI is. Oh, is before. it? Okay, well, then, you, and then yeah. just your okay, penis. Okay, you do know what a SOTI is, right? Your penis is in the sea, and, uh, it's, and it's all salty. Hence the oh, sea. yes, I so, remember that now. Yes, yes so, I uh, remember that now. Yes, so it's, it's short for soapial. So salty, yeah, salty, <laughs> salty balls, salty penis. So the fact that I'm messing up these names, I, I do apologize to any uh, uh, native Maori speakers as well. Overall, he just said, he was on a lo- an hour-long podcast uh, with Artie Sevier. I don't know how I feel about Artie Sevilla doing a podcast. Uh, I kind of like it because I reckon you, or? you'll be the you'll be the most likely to add us, uh, like shout us out. No, because like, so, I don't think. Well, Artie's good at everything, so if he's just doing a podcast, he probably like doesn't even he's not even winging it. He's just probably a natural born fit for it. He's just so damn good mm-hmm. at everything he does. Uh, that's where Perinar he just revealed that um, about the journey and the effects of colonization on the manor. Of a Terra Amari, uh, within his and the word unfortunately that I stuck up as well, which I find, which for me I know very very little about beyond knowing about the Amari people uh, and also that it's a language and it's an integral part of New Zealand New Zealand's culture and national identity. I know very little about it, so it's just interesting to read about um, the different journeys that people are taking uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, Matt. I was going to say, just mildly on this topic, it comes up on my Spotify every now and then. There's a band in New Zealand that plays. Heavy metal, and they all their lyrics are in Maori, and uh, I've, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed now. I can't actually shout them out because their songs aren't bad, and that's yeah, kind of cool listening to listening to it with a bit of the Maori and the growling and that. It's quite dope. I'll see if I can find it now and remind remind you again later because yeah, it's quite a cool language. No, um, I think a lot of the uh, Pacific. It just sounds it just sounds very nice to the ear, even though I have no idea what's yeah. going on. Unfortunately, it's quite it sounds quite lovely to me. Uh, Nicola, do you speak uh, any Maori, or is it Tara Maori? Uh, no, I don't. No, about as good as your Afrikaans. Oh, is it? Okay, no, that, that, that's <laughs> that's fair enough. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, each their own, um, I guess. So very interesting. Just that parent I was opening up about this sort of stuff. Um, I think, and just to, just to harking back to Thomas's issue, 
Um, sportsmen are just sportsmen. There's very much a lot, a lot going in the background. They're certainly they're two very different instances. So um, yeah, it's interesting though because Perinara leads the Haka quite regularly, doesn't he? Uh, Was it Smith something? No, he does actually. Yeah. No, he does yeah. lead the Haka. Which... And so the guy leading, the, if I remember correctly, Nicola, you're gonna have to correct me on this if I'm. But doesn't isn't that mean that like it's of the various houses in that or something? It's like the highest house or whatever is the one leading it. Uh, I don't actually know how that works, um, so, to be honest. I remember there is it's a third of the hierarchy, so the one who's doing it, that's why Weepu was doing it for so long when he was playing even off the bench or whatever. Yeah, well, Perry Weepu, mm. was a, he, he was just the champ all around, really. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Okay, right, so let's move on to matters concerning the field, and my running order has now disappeared. Uh... Classic Adam organization. There we go, details. <laughs> oh, there it is. Right. So, rugby for noobs. Uh, hopefully, Ant will come back, but I think we can wing it at least until we get to some of the basic rules, because even those, uh, I might know what I'm talking about, but I could be very much wrong. So, we're just going to do a <laughs> breakdown of the forwards and set pieces, starting off, and then we're going to move into the back line, uh, the different positions. Um, I, w- I will be interested to see what Matt says about our loose forwards, but South Africa, we treat them slightly differently to the rest of the world. And then we're doing the breakdown of the basic rules, then likely winners to watch uh, for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, and then a Q&A um, with uh, Nicola. Has any questions? Yeah, I've asked. I think you, you're keeping us on our toes already, which is good. You're testing my knowledge and exposing me for the fraud <laughs> that I might be. Um, so let's start. Breakdown of forwards. Uh, Matt Matt was a prop back in his previous yes. days. So tell me, Matt, what is a prop? And there are two different types of props. There's a loose head and a tight head. Which were you and what are their numbers uh, within, within a, a rugby formation? Okay, so props are the forwardiest of the forwards. They're your, the two big fat guys on the team. If it's the Georgian side, it's two of the five big fat guys on the team. But anyway, so for every other side besides Georgia, or most of the, yeah, yeah, Georgia. Let's just stay Georgia and maybe France. So the two big guys on the team are your props. They're number one and three. One's on your left, three is on your right, and then loose and tight head. Uh, one and three. So also props work like taps. So turn a tap. Left is loose, right is tight. Okay. 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 Easy to remember. Yep. I think I've told. I think I've told you that before on air as well, Adam. Yeah. Uh, I've clearly forgotten because that's actually a really good t- good t- good tip. Yeah. So loose, loose, lefty, loose, righty, tight. And then so in the so the two scrums. So it's let, loose head, tight head. So the way. So the way scrums bind together, the two opposing sides, like teeth of a zip. So the two hookers put their heads either side each other, and then the tight head to the right of the hookers has his head against the hooker's head and the loose head's head on his on his uh, fuck on his right. So the tight head has a head either side of his head. His head is bound tight. The loose head has only one head on one side of him, so his head is loose obviously so okay. so yeah so a big scrum advantage is to get a tight head so a big shove in your scrum from the tight head side so the scrum moves so the left hand side doesn't move as forward as the right side and the, the scrum opens up slightly so for us our fuck us uh opens no, yeah our blind side gets a bit more of an advantage on a tight head when you're attacking and the other side their 
loose forwards are pushed back and slightly out of position as well. So it's a big dominant scrum to get that off. It's not as fortunate as you, sh- as you can because, as I said, the, right, the tight head is generally pushing with a body on each shoulder, where so Lucid can sort of defend it a bit better because he doesn't have someone on each shoulder. Okay, and which one were you? I was tighted. Uh, so is, so uh, is, it, is that why you um, can you, you hold a lot of uh, bitterness, Matt? You know, shouldering the heavy burden. Look, I've got broad shoulders for a reason. I mean, oh, some yeah. of us, some of us, we, I mean, we joke that box, that that Peter Steftetoy and Franco Mostert are the boxes, the boxes of of the the rugby field. But I don't know. Some t- the, the the unspoken quiet mm. workhorses are definitely the tight which, heads. Which 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 coach was it? He famously said that the most important position in rugby was your tight head, and the second most imp- uh, important position in rugby was your reserve tight head. Uh, I actually can't remember the coach. Who, who made that question? I think it was Jake White. Was, oh, hey, Jake, was, wait, how, how's it? How'd, how'd your mate's marathon? How's it going? Yo, Oak is cruising. Um, is it? Yeah, he's feeling, looking very, very comfortable, very strong. So, you know, it's 12Ks to go. Um, oh, so, sure, yeah, nice. be, so you're right should, by the finish line. Um, fairly close. Well, yeah. When I say yeah, 12Ks from the, from the finish. <laughs> 12Ks, yeah, it's just casual. It's just, you know, quick jog. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's he's looking strong. Oh, lekker. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, just mentioning Lucid, so I actually forgot to mention this. Um, Os, uh, Os Durant, his actual full name is Jakobus Petrus, uh, or Durant is his full name. He's been inducted, by the way, into the World Rugby Hall of Fame. Uh, he won oh, he's the... going to be inducted. He oh. hasn't been inducted. Oh, I see. The ceremony is like the ceremony is upcoming, but so he's been. An, he's an, I think the. Term is a nominee for induction right now. Yeah, he's played. 80 he's been nominated for induction. He played eighty tests. It's from, it's from ninety four to, to what's that? Huh? Yeah, it's a formality. Yeah, 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 yeah. formality. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you will... only get inducted at the ceremony. So you. Yes, yes, so yes. I'm just, I'm just using the technical terms. I'm not. Yeah. So it's and alongside Richie McCaw and um, Graham Henry, so it's some pretty lofty company. Ooh, that's yeah. a good class. It's yeah. a good induction class. He's played. He played eighty tests for South Africa, starting in nineteen ninety four. He played in the nineteen ninety five Rugby World Cup, uh, including the final, and also the two thousand seven World Cup, uh, winning that tournament. Uh, Jake White was the coach, if you didn't know. Uh, he scored five tries. Uh, I think the most remarkable thing about it, apart from um, saving, um, give me his. Jeez, I've actually forgotten. Uh, the former coach of the the Cheetahs, who was unfortunately shot, uh, but I've suddenly lost uh, lost his name. Uh, Narka Drotsky. Oh yeah, sorry, Nick. Like, Narka Drotsky coached the Cheetahs for ages, but uh, I think was, his, um, also was his assistant coach. Yeah, also his assistant yeah. coach, and the two they like played together and stuff back in yeah. the day for the Cheetahs and the yeah. books. Yeah, they're like lifelong yeah. friends, and uh, they were at home uh, on their farm. Uh, I'm not quite sure Ar- where. Narka's farm. Oh, Narka's farm. Yeah, there's a small holding. It's not a farm, just yeah. outside Bloom. Yeah, and robbers, robbers enter the property and Narka and just protecting his family he ended up getting shot. I don't, know, I can't remember if Ors was there or not, but Ors was the guy. Ors was there. Ors was there. So Ors is the one that stopped traffic and like commandeered a vehicle essentially to get Narka to the hospital because EMTs would have taken too long to get there. Yeah. Um, so beyond wow. save, saving his best friend's life, uh, he also suffered a horrific neck injury um, um, in between those two World Cup periods. And he's almost, yeah, he, he pretty much retired, then came back, and then uh, won a the Jake World Cup. Back. Jake said, you've got to come back and play for us. We need a senior leadership figure in the team. And he came back to be like most probably one of the best props of that tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. 
So, uh, an ultimate hero and all-round uh, solid, also, solid oak. Yes. Adam, it's worth it's worth also explaining. Os is Afrikaans for ox. Yes. Uh, and, oh, yes. Okay. And as a loose head, uh, I, uh, I know you explained uh, the kind of the more technical technicalities of the props in a scrum. Generally speaking, um, look, the modern game is changing all the time. New Zealand, for instance, have chosen mobility in their props. The loose head traditionally is generally considered a slightly more mobile prop, just due to the fact. Yeah, so that, I mean, know, just think of think of the SA loose heads: it's Bees, Kitsov, Kach, and then think of our tight heads: Malhaba, Wilco, Low with those fucking tree trunk legs. Yeah. Yeah, so just I don't think. know any of those people. And Trevor, so. and Trevor, yeah. and, Kanye. and Trevor, and Trevor, and Trevor, and Trevor, but he's he's, he's, he's head, verse. Yeah. yeah, he's a bit him. Like I, I, I sort of didn't use the guys like Trevor or Thomas or Thomas Detroit who sort of switched sides and you know the verse players. Trevor more so than, than the other two. The other two sort of forced into playing the other side well, now all of a sudden. Well, Nicola, for your information, I mean, you, are you how familiar are you with the squad? <coughs> I know not very. So when the squad was announced for New Zealand, uh, the team that Steve Hansen picked, um, ben, uh, Owen Franks, does his name ring a bell? It rings a bell. Yes. Oh, Owen... uh, I can't picture him. <laughs> well, think of him as uh, just... Um... Shrek. Yeah, Shrek with tons of muscle. He he won the World Cup in I'm like a skinny Owen Franks. I'm like a very small <laughs> Owen Franks right now. <laughs> he, he also won the World Cup in 2011. He's a tight head. Um, and I think he's now in his early 30s. And generally props get, at scrum time anyway, they generally get better with age due to the dark arts of Matt, only which Matt kind of knows. But he was not selected. And I think Matt and Matt just jump in here. One of the reasons he wasn't chosen for the World Cup this year, he can scrum. But clearly what New Zealand have opted for at the World Cup this year, they believe, given the hot conditions, uh, I know in our warm-up game, Beast lost, or one of them anyway, one of our uh, tightest forwards lost five kilograms over the course of a game. The humidity is so high in Japan. I still think it was Malhaba, because Beast doesn't have five kilos uh, of water no. weight to be, to be uh, fair. I don't know if Ink can weigh <laughs> in on that. New Zealand have opted uh, for, and it's an interesting trend like in the game, yeah. uh, they're opting for more mobile props than those who are just good at scrumming, which is very interesting. Like Angus Tayavo, uh, he's, he's not a tight No, he's a, he's a loose head, isn't he? Tayavo is a... Yeah, but then he, is, he's a loose head, I think. He played tight head yeah. and got absolutely monstered. Um, I think in one of the Super AP games, but they chose a guy like uh, Nepalalala, who's also a tank. Really? Nepo, yeah, he's a... Nepalalala, and then who are the other prop, props that they ended up choosing? Oh, Joe Moody, but he's a loose head. He's oh, a Moody's the loose head. Yeah, so uh, Franks and Moody are obviously the, Christ, the, 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 the engine, part of the engine room of that Christchurch Rolls Royce front pack. Mm, so uh, it's interesting how the game's evolving, where your props can't just uh, sit around and tackle and be at the loose. New Zealand are targeting something a bit quicker. Uh, which is always interesting. Uh, and as a hooker, please tell us a bit about the hooker uh, and their role, and also where they fit in in between the props and a scrum uh, and the like. Um, okay, so the hooker is one of the relatively specialist positions of the team, given they've got those kind of unique responsibilities of hooking and having to throw into a lineup. Um, so what's, this, uh, yeah, what's so, hooking in this context? So you get a lazy number, feathers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you stand by the by the post. Lacey does that. Uh, but during a scrum, you, you've seen a scrum. Sorry, someone had that joke in the fucking no, no. I was so, tempted. I was tempted. Yeah. That. So, someone, the, the scrum half, up, someone has to make an The scrum half rolls the ball into the scrum, and the, the job of the number two, the hooker, is to hook the ball to their side. Just just with their, they, yeah. like, yeah. flick it into the they scrum. Use yeah. their foot and put it back towards their team. Um, I mean, look, uh, just to clarify, that has changed over the years a couple of times because... 
it was compulsory, then everyone just used to not hook, and then now they've made everyone can hook. So it's a bit um, fluid. But yeah, generally his role in the scrum is to you know when the ball comes in to bring it back to their side. Um, and much further back in the day, you used to be able to hook the opposition's ball as well. But given how skewed balls are put into the scrum these days, it's not really an option. It doesn't really happen ever. Yeah, um, I think you're still allowed to, but if you do it, you're just still allowed to. But if the ball's you know put it been put yeah. it behind the lock's feet, I don't think anyone's legs are long enough. Um, I know you're just missing out on an opportunity for a shove. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing is that uh, in the modern day scrum, the hooker's responsibility is far more than just trying to hook the ball. Um, and especially given that the ball does get put in so skewed, that's not a strict requirement. Um, especially because if you do do that, you've got one foot off the ground, so you're effectively one player um, fewer pushing. So it's kind of just asking for the opposition to push you off the ball. So a hooker's role in the scrum nowadays is much more about um, keeping the connection between the props, keeping the um, trying to keep the front row honest and straight, and yeah, be a very strong pusher um, to try and yeah uh, counteract the opposition trying to push you off your own ball. Um, so there's still a, a small element of hooking, but it, it is much more about being a powerhouse and kind of keeping that that um, front row locked and center. Um, and, and then obviously in the lock. up to date, you have to hook now on your ball, don't you? I think so. But, I, I mean, think the last time like, you have to... Like but a lot yeah, of those like, fluid rules, it's not strictly enforced. So, like, you know, they kind of move their foot a little bit to, like, make it look like they've lift their leg. But it's mm. the ball's coming under their feet anyway, so you don't strictly have to hook it. Um, yeah, but you've got to make more, that token event. The first step forward will kind of just look like a hook over the ball. Mm. Um, yeah, and then obviously at line-out time, you know, your, your responsibility is to, to throw it in um, straight, hit the jumpers, and, and win the line-out. Um, so that's a whole other discussion in terms of timing and how you get that right, but those are the kind of the, the core responsibilities of a hooker. In terms of the responsibilities around the field, it varies depending on the player and the team. Some of them play much more similarly to props, and some play much more similarly to, you know, kind of your ranges flanks. So if you think of the difference between, say, a Bismarck with a C hooker versus a Dane Coles. I mean, they're completely different players, uh, but both very, very effective at what they do. Um, so, you know, the, a hooker's got a, I suppose, it's probably got one of the most fluid roles in the field, and it really depends on the game plan that they've got, um, whether they stay in the wide channels and play, become much more of a ball player, or whether they stay quite tight and act much more like a, a, a strong carrier or more like a loose forward looking to make tackles and steals. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, so in, in a way, the, the hook has also evolved to being focused more on scrumming uh, and throwing. And it's still very important, by the way. Uh, if you have a hooker gone throw straight, you lose a major advantage um, in your set piece. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, hookers are, are part of what they define as the, the, the spine of your team. So if you've got good yeah. players in 2, 8, 9, 10, and 15, um, then you've got a strong team. And the hookers are very, very much part of that spine. Yeah, uh, yeah. for instance, John Smith, who was South Africa's captain for a very, very long time in the 2007 World Cup, uh, I mean, he was one of the world's best hookers then. He also had the best throwing accuracy over the course of the tournament uh, as well. And South Africa, two, two of the greatest locks uh, the country's ever produced at that time too. But if you don't have a hooker who can't throw straight, uh, then you have a problem. So that's also a very key yeah. aspect. Yeah, and, of and that's something that people have highlighted as, as a weakness for South Africa going into this tournament, is that both of our um, first-choice hookers, or I suppose, I suppose you could call them first-choice because there's not much between them uh, at the moment. You know, they've both at various times have had quite wobbly lineups. I mean, I watched a Springbok video they released interviewing um, Bongi about his Curry Cup final throwing last year where he missed like four or five throws, just completely threw it over the lineup. 
Um, yeah. You know, but then two weeks later, he hit four in a row in the last five minutes to beat France. So they can throw when they get it right, but there they are definitely weaknesses um, for, for both of, for both Marks and for Bongi at certain times. Okay. All right. Then moving on to uh, your locks four and five. Uh, very briefly speaking, I'll just use the very much classic example of Victor Matfield Bucky's Boerto, which was South Africa's locking pair at the 2007 World Cup. Um, what was their nickname? The partnership or something? I'm actually not sure. Um, like the duo or something. They're like I, I only discovered it years after they retired that it was apparently a nickname for them. Yeah, I don't actually. Is Adam? Like, surely you know that like. No, no, I, I, no, I don't. It's just they happen to play for the Bulls, and um, I support the Lions, not the Bulls. Okay, uh-huh. that's not what I've heard. <laughs> okay. As a fan of the pod, Nicola, what is Adam? <laughs> what have you picked up from listening to the pod? Who does? Who do you think Adam supports? Who does he talk about more? He supports Who's the Bulls, but he spends a lot of time pretending not to support the Bulls. <laughs> okay. So Adam, uh, so, Adam, from outside appearances, so unbiased outside appearances. I, I'm not going to say unbiased. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to say that. But anyway, I'm a professional. Let me let me move on. Uh, Franco Mostat is the current Springbok, one of Springbok number five. Uh, Evan Edspace, the current number four. Neither of them play for the Bulls or used to play for the Bulls, for the fact. Anyway, um, uh, the Bucky's Boys of Victor Mayfield partnership uh, was a almost a, a very good example of what lock play can look like. Bucky's Boys as your four um, spent a lot of the time, particularly around rucks, rucks, uh, clearing out players, tackling, defending uh, on defence. Um, also, the more sort of dirty grunt work that forwards do do. Uh, while Victor Mayfield, he was a more lean, taller, mobile figure, uh, won a ton of ball uh, at the line. Excuse me. Live. What do you mean live? No, not live. Live. Not live. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so Matthew was uh, the lineup general, while Bucky's Bursa was more the physical enforcer. He was the sort of guy you'd say, cool, whenever the 10 gets the ball, your job is to tackle them. He also famously headbutted. Um, who did he headbutt? In, was oh, God. In the Lions series. He headbutted someone. Oh, and then. Um, who was it? I... Oh, no, he eye gouged someone. I think. No, no, no. Bucky's did headbutt. It's the best. Have you ever t- heard him tell? Yes. Yes. Have you heard him tell the anecdote though? It's no. So, cute. so he's like, yeah, he headbutts and the ref blows the whistle and that. And he, like, John de Villiers is captain at the time and he's standing, or is it de Villiers or? That was still wasn't it? it was... Yeah, so it's Smith still. Sorry, so it's still Smith. Yeah, so he turns to Smith. He's like, no, 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 it's not so bad. Don't stress, don't stress, don't worry. I've got this. And then the replay happens on the big screen and Bucky's like, and just sort of shrugs at John, like, no, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, no, no. It's, it's, he's like, no, no, it's nothing serious. Don't worry, don't worry. And then just the replay, like, and he's just like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and, uh, I think probably the major reason the the four and five in a rugby team are called locks is they are the hinge point in a scrum in the sense that they lock the front row to the loose forwards, uh, and I don't know if that, if that makes a lot of sense. Um, and in terms of uh, just other other vagaries around the 4-5 position, um, beyond just the classic matfield Boise comparison, like New Zealand, currently they've got Sam Whitelock, who's very much in the Victor Matfield mode, but then they have a guy like Brady Retallick, who is very much probably one of the world's best rugby players. He does everything a four can do, and a five, and even a loose forward to a certain degree. Uh, that's why his injury is such a blow to New Zealand's chances up to at least the quarterfinals. Uh, Matt, yeah. uh, 
they're yeah. key distributors in midfield, weirdly enough. Actually, both Whitelock and Brody, they put them at the point of their pods so that they're the ones mm. that are choosing whether to play it out the back, pass to another forward. Um, yeah, you know, so the New Zealanders really require their locks to be ball players as well as physical brutes. Um, but yeah, the, yeah I mean, Sam Whitelock is an interesting one. He kind of plays, I, I think, more similarly to a four and Brody closer to a five. But mm. you know, they both, as you say, can kind of do both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And can you just then take us through? I guess you, you first mentioned number eight, but in the loose forwards, and the, this is the value I always get get a little bit confused by. In South Africa, our blind side is a seven. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then, but in New Zealand, your blind side flank is and a six. Best of the world. Is a, yeah. The rest actually well, it's just it's South Africa and France that do it the other way around. I think oh, okay. the rest of the world. Yeah. The rest of the oh, world. So, yeah. Your blind side is a six. Uh, so Richie McCaw. No, he was he a seven. I always get confused. Rest of the world at seven. Yeah, McCall was a seven. McCall was a seven, yes. Okay, McCall was a seven. Um, but so, yeah, and if we could just start off with the eighth man, then just go into the loose... Uh, loose um, sorry, why am I saying that? Yeah, I've blind got to open side. I know why they're called blindside and open side. I understand side. this. Yeah, but let's, let's start with an eight. I think I know why they're called blindside and open side, though. So <laughs> I, I do have a question around this, though. So please please start with, yeah. with the number eight. Cool. So the number eight is um, commonly referred to as like the connection between your forwards and your back line. Um, usually key characteristics would be he's one of the taller players, so he should be a, a pretty strong line-out option. Um, you know, he needs to be able to get through the work, work of a loose forward, so he needs to make, get high carry and tackle numbers. But he also should have, um, you know, enough skills that he can link with the back line. He can play kind of as a third center um, pass around. If you look at, say, Kieran Reed, Sergio Parisi, you know, you often find them cropping up out on the wide channels, giving that last pass to the wing. Um, but, you know, they also need to be physically strong enough that they can take a carry in tight. Um, again, this does vary. So, you know, you get the two extremes. You get a player like uh, Billy Vunapola, who's just a complete battering ram, um, very effective at it, but, you know, he carries very, very tight, whereas, you know, the Lions have got Warren Whiteley, who's the complete opposite, um, you know, who's very, very rangy, quite a light eighth man, but, you know, very skillful and very effective at running in the wide channels. Um, but yeah, so that's the, I suppose, eighth man in a very quick nutshell. They're, as it comes scrum time, their role is generally to kind of control the ball at the back. So if you see scrums having quite a dominant shove, so they're going forward with the ball, the eighth man's the guy at the back with the foot, with his foot over the ball, kind of making sure that they can kind of keep it in and the scrum off's got a nice clean, um, pass out of it. They, um, they're also the guy that kind of picks up off the back of the scrum sometimes and runs with it. I mean, us, to be fair, are eighth men really pushing much in a scrum, out of curiosity? I've got no experience. I've always been so far from not, not really, to be honest. Um, you know, pretty much all your power in a scrum comes from your type five. Your uh, flanks, yeah, that's a, uh, flanks are useless. Do, I've never, I've, I've, the, the number of scrums I've had with, like, I can't feel a shoulder on my ass. <laughs> I mean, a flank should be providing, you, sh- you should be helping yeah, the no. possible keep them straight Stability, the but yeah. It's more of a stability thing than a power thing. And yeah, an eighth man is, is again also they're more there to kind of keep the structure more than there to really try and push. Yeah, so um, like I said, this is essentially wings to me. So um, that's why I'm. Yeah, not I, I, I realize we've moved away from your field of expertise already, Matt. <laughs> yeah. really, um, we finished the five props, and now we're all on wings. On the, okay. on the so now they're starting to slum down. Sorry. Yeah. So, so your your front row, for example, you know your. Your props will be ranging between 115 and 130, or if they're French, 150 kilos. Hookers usually between 110, 116. Um, yeah. Locks, just because of how tall they are, you know, you're not going to find a lock less than 115, but you know they can get up to 
like 140 or 130 light for Willemse. Eighth man, however, much lighter. Um, Dwayne, okay, well, Billy Villapola again is the exception. He's at about Dwayne 100. and Billy, yeah, I think I'm most probably. Dwayne, Dwayne 100, Dwayne's 117, and he's very big for an eighth man. Most of your eighth men are around, around 108, 110 kilos. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, Dwayne was heavier than that, to be fair. I thought Dwayne was heavier than that, actually. Uh, no, he's not over 120. He's 117. No, no fair. No, I, I'm not calling I, you a liar. I just, think, I think, to me, always if you're standing 193 and you weigh more than 120, you just, you know, I don't think you're mobile enough. I mean, no, that's agree, getting yeah. territory. Like, they're shorter than that away, about 100. Uh, yeah. Well, look, Karen uh, Reed, uh, the New Zealand captain, he's he's 1.9, he's 1.93 meters tall. I mean, because this is Wikipedia, but he weighs approximately 111 kilograms. Yeah, yeah so, well, I mean, he's a tall, but yeah, he's a tall. So they can get there, but they're not, you know, because they're so tall, they can carry a little bit more weight without being heavy, if that makes sense. Mm. Um that's the, the same way you can skinny locks. Like Franco Mostert, he's what, 198, but he only weighs 112 or something. Yeah, no, he and is. So he's good. quite. Um, I do have a question on the blindside <laughs> open side flank. Uh, are they called yeah. blindside because your blindside flank would typically cover, let's say, the scrum is on the left hand side of the field? Your blindside flank yeah. would be the oak closer to the touchline. So, in theory, covering the blinder yes. side of the field. And then the open yeah. side always covers the greater amount of ground. So, if it's on the left hand side of the field, your open side would always be on the right-hand side. So then, I mean, so does that mean, let's say the scrums on the right-hand side of the field, that those two flanks switch positions? Or do they stay in the same yes. position? Exactly that. So yeah. England went through, through a period, and quite a few international teams went through a period where they had left and right flanks, where the flanks were both kind of similar. Mm. Um, similar in build, similar in role, and then they just go left and right. Whereas... Most teams, or I mean all teams nowadays, but you know most teams for most of the time have had an open side and a blind side, exactly as you say, because one, you know, one side of the scrum is going to have three, uh, two thirds of the field to cover. Um, so you know that's the open side of the field. So yeah, so the flank on that side is usually the smaller, more mobile, better at the better at tackling, better on the ground, and then your blind side, who's your bigger, taller, slower um, guy, will be on the, the left hand side, or sorry, will be on the, the blind side. So, if we're speaking about the All Blacks, for example, because right now, uh, Nicola, as you've, as you've heard, we've, we've, we've spoken a lot about the loose trail. You've got Kieran Reid, Captain Fantastic, and he seems to be peaking, mm-hmm. peaking at the right time for the World Cup. He, he's your classic link player. He's got outstanding hands, uh, can mix it with the best. His ultimate value, obviously, as a leader, but he's just an outstanding rugby player. Then you've got Artie Sevilla, one of the world's best rugby players, and then Sam Kane, who almost broke his neck, and now he's back. Uh, he's super he hard. Uh, Sam Kane is a six, correct? Mm-hmm. So he's. I'm just trying seven. to. Oh, is he a seven? I, don't know. I get confused. Seven. See, I'm, it always confuses me. Open just, just say open yeah, just say like open and blood. Because yeah. you're going to get switching around. But he's an open side, but then you get a guy like Artie Severe on your blind side, who I'd argue is even faster than Sam Kane. Blind side, to be fair. Sorry? Yeah, but I mean. Artie Severe is not a blind side, though. Ah. Yeah, they, they play him at blind side, but he's, yeah. Okay, well, he's. he's doesn't fit in your mold of a blind side at all. Mm. He's an open sider or, or an open sider, and a lot of open siders can play eight because, as you say, they're kind of similar. Often your your open siders are a bit smaller, faster, a bit more skillful. So a lot of open siders can, you know, fit both positions. Look at Scott Berger, Richie McCall played a couple of games at eight. Um, it's not that, you know, David Pocock, he can cover six and eight. So it's not that uncommon to see that switch, but blind sides. Traditionally, is you're much bigger, taller, stronger, slower player. So, you know, a guy that's generally also a good line-out option, mm. um, but he's there to make big hits, big carries. Um, 
big runs. Like he's there as a you know a battering ram and stopping power. Like, you know, look at someone like Peter Stefitoy or Liam Squire, um, John Smith, Willem Alberts. These are guys that are you know there for their power. Um, they normally got not again South Africa. We break the mold because a lot of our open siders sit at like 115 yeah. kilos, but. Generally, open siders are around 105, 110, and your blind sides are sitting upwards of 115. Or good blind sides should be sitting upwards yeah, of 115. I mean, we, we have Peter Steffi Toy um, as our blind side, and he's pretty much the same height as Kieran Reed um, and weighs 10 k's more. What? Oh. Sorry? Wait, Peter Steffi's two meters. What? No, bro. He's really that tall. He's a lock. Holy yes. shit. He's, he is two he's meters a lock. Tall. Yeah, he's two meters tall and actually 120 kilograms. What, uh, the one thing that we don't understand about him, and clearly he's not human, uh, is he's got the engine of a Rolls-Royce. He just keeps going, a lot like Franco, Franco Mostat. Uh, if you ever watched South Africa play, uh, Nicola, just look for a guy with like long black hair, drenched in sweat, who always looks like he's imminently close to collapse. But just keeps going. And crying. And crying, he's, yeah. He okay. always looks like he's about to cry. Yeah. Like, like no offense okay. to him. Yeah, from like sheer exertion. Like that, yeah, that exhausting cry. This is like, I can't. I'm finished. And, it has, and that, that's, okay. also, that's and, also why uh, the shape of New Zealand's loose chair is so interesting because uh, they got a guy in Ardy who should be playing in, a, in the position next to him. And at line-out time, uh, apart from Reed, who, I mean, he's very tall, neither Sam Kane or Sevilla are traditionally tall. For rugby, Frizzell's got a bit of height on him, doesn't he? Yeah, he's one nine five, I think. Really? Yeah, Frizzell's a yeah, Frizzell's got a bit of reach and range on him. He doesn't. Yeah, he's he's also on the full side for uh, especially at that height. Jeez. Um, I must admit, he just looks big. I didn't actually realize he was so tall. Yeah, Frizzell's got. That's (laughs) what I thought. Yeah, no, he looks skinny. He looks. Because he is skinny, because he's 195 and weighs 100 and weighs the same as Kalisu, who's like six centimeters shorter than him or seven centimeters shorter. Yeah. Like yeah. he is skinny, relative. Yeah, relative. you think about how much weight you get just from being taller. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, let's move it on to scrum half uh, number nine. Um, uh, in general, your scrum half, whenever a person, uh, just for everybody out there, they're always at the base of a ruck. Once a player gets tackled and the ball is recycled to be distributed to the backs, so your scrum half is always there. He's also the person that distribute that also puts the ball into the scrum uh, and then retrieves it from the scrum. Uh, and also on an attack perspective, they play a very important round running uh, support line. That's why you always see like TJ Perinara, Aaron Smith. Um, Hershey Yankees, I was going to say him, but I mean, he's a bit different. Uh, they're always running support oh, yeah. lines, and they play a very important role in the defensive structure, acting as a sweeper to pick up kicks uh, around the edges, and also defending the edges of rucks as well. Um, what is interesting to me, so Africa with the 1995 Rugby World <laughs> Cup, we had Jus van der in, who traditionally was a very big number nine. It was actually much more yeah. of a threat with ball in hand. Uh, he was Nicholas, South Africa's leading try scorer. Uh, for quite a long time, mm-hmm. actually, uh, which is quite weird for a scrum off, because they don't traditionally score that many tries. Uh, but now we've kind of reverted to type with uh, the likes of Fakty Klerk, Herschel Yankees, Kubis Rhinoch. Your scrum halves are generally the smallest player on the field. And maybe Matt and Andrew can maybe tell me why, I guess, just to get the ball. Uh, and I would say New Zealand... I think it's the personality. Yeah, that's true. You're <laughs> an annoying country, you've got to be short. <laughs> so, so, like, just a muscle so, I mean, yes. to be one, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he is, I like Justin Marshall, but he is annoying at the same time. So, uh, yeah. and, and actually New Zealand, I think, offer both types of kind of what scrum halves you get today. Those who 
are more of a threat with ball in hand, like TJ Perinara. He's an outstanding rugby player. He's got a good pass, but then they also probably, I, I'd still argue they have the world's best passing scrum half at Aaron Smith, who, uh, yes. yeah, he he probably throws the best torpedo pass left left and right-sided than anybody. And due to the sheer speed of which he can recycle the ball pass to the backs, it creates tempo a tempo that, uh, compared to the All Blacks, not many other teams can match. Like Aaron Smith was... Just the style of his passing, so I've always been a big fan of him. He uh, has revolutionized uh, the speed at which a scrum half should distribute the ball to a backline. And then another very important aspect of it, something that South Africa has always been traditionally strong at, is kicking. Kicking from the base. Uh, because the reason why, and Andrew can correct me here, scrum halves play such an important role in the team is they make it with the ball in hand. They, they touch the ball so often they're a very important decision maker in terms of what happens with the ball. They either will kick it or pass it to the 10. And in our 2007 winning team, uh, we had Fruit Pruer who was probably one of the world's best kicking scrum halves as well. He almost acted as another te- another number 10 with his boot. Yeah, I mean, I think most people agree for Dupree is the best tactical scrum half there's kind of ever been. Mm. Uh, anything I missed out, just in terms of scrum half play? And I always try to bring it back to, mm. uh, just kind of bring it back to their core role, um, in a sense. Of yeah, being the ball. I think you summarized it quite well. Their core role is to get the ball from a ruck, was you know from a set play to the back line. Um, you know they have a lot of other roles in terms of defence and organisation and things like that, and being a support runner. But generally their role is to get the ball from a, from the, the reset to the back line. Um, and they also put it into the scrum, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They feed it. Uh, there was. A... <laughs> yeah. So Nick, I know we've just been pushing through the positions. Do you have any other any burning questions at this stage uh, that that have piqued your curiosity or interest? Yeah, I think um, just a rolling Q&A, so just at any time you have a question, yeah. shout. <laughs> yeah, I unless, have a couple you, of are, yes. unless you have been writing them down as you've been going along. <laughs> I have been keeping a note, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, better than most that's, of us. You're the most professional it. person we've had on the show so far. <laughs> yeah. Actually, all our guests are the more professional we have. Yeah, no, so, that's yeah. it, yeah. Okay, I have a question for Ant. Um, yes. So Hi. do you know the heights and weights of the entire South African team off by heart? Because it seems like you do. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> okay. I know the heights of most international players. <laughs> off by heart. All right. Well, that's a good skill to have, I suppose. No, no, um, not, we don't call him our, our stats computer for nothing. <laughs> yeah, but I assumed he just used like Google or Wikipedia, <laughs> no, something no, no. like that. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he is Google. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you keep saying scrum half, but that's the same as halfback. Is scrum uh, half like new terminology? Yes. Uh, yes. No, I mean, New Zealanders have a weird name for all their players yes. for some strange reason. And Australia too. Australia oh. employ the same sort of lingo uh, as well. I don't know why they call a, a scrum half. They've got halfback first, five eight, second five eight. It's, it's very confusing. Yeah, Outside and, half. And, and yeah. they call their centres when they say centre, they only mean thirteen. Um, in New Zealand, yes. as well, which is also very interesting. Yeah. We'll get it. That's a very good question. I actually don't know why uh, that is the case. Maybe it's got something to do with maybe the influence of league or something like that. Because we don't play rugby league, and so we do. There's the African rugby league team, but uh, we don't play it professionally here. So right. I wonder if I could see. I'm going to do what I normally do is Google. So that's that's what I use. Why does New Zealand call scrum halves half backs? Let's just see what the answer is. Um, no. Okay, I failed. That, that, <laughs> no. Uh, no, that didn't work. Yeah, I, I, Google I just to... straight up said, no, that's a cuck one. Man. Denied. Yeah. I think I've tried to look into this before, and I never really found a great answer. 
Especially because even the fractions don't make sense, like first five eighths, but there's no eighth in the back line. So I'm, it's very confusing. But my only, the only thing that I can think of is that New Zealand's traditionally used like two playmakers. So that's why you've got a first and a second five eighths at first, um, I mean at fly off and inside center. Okay. But, you know, when you're playing Lucky or Sonny Bill Williams, that doesn't make sense. I found um, something on Reddit. Um, it says here, yeah, and thank this. you to, this is from three years ago, thank you Skeeter 1980, if you, if you are listening. And the 1903 All Black captain Jimmy Duncan is credited with coining the name 5 eighths when he decided to take a player from the forwards to add to the backs. The backs at that time consisted of two halfbacks, three three-quarters, oh Jesus, and a fullback. As the additional player stood between and halfback and three-quarters, Duncan came up with the term five-eighths according to the fraction between them. The player five-eighths also knows the five-eighths could take the ball back to forwards or pass it on two three-quarters. Okay, hence the scrum half. Uh, but then it evolved to that. Okay, that was very confusing. Um, and and you, yeah. you, you do do um, XI. I mean, that's your qualification, isn't it? Or not? Yeah. Yeah, so he's an actual scientist, so he actually does numbers as well. That's why his, his brain's built for knowing rugby players' heights and weights uh, <laughs> as well. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's the reason he hosts our, our stats section and not not Adam or I. Yeah, and, and Phil actually also does number stuff in his job. They are probably like the most number oriented. Actually, well, I would say Ben does numbers, but Ben, he, yeah, I feel like often he's disclaiming it. <laughs> what, what I feel like he does sometimes. He does numbers now. In theory, yeah. yeah. I just feel like he plays golf all the time. So, uh, it, I mean, that's what that's what this aspiration is, is you start by doing numbers so that you can play golf later. If you do enough numbers, you get to do less numbers at golf. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I generally write for a living. Um, but you should see our text messages in our WhatsApp group. I, I misspell stuff all the time. And I regret ever saying I called myself details. Uh, because the guys have never You save your good writing for your actual job. And I then do. you just, you know. I exhausted do. Full I'm actually putting WhatsApp on like group. a writing workshop in the next few weeks. So, uh, about good, good content writing. <laughs> <Classic> so, <laughs> bringing in the heat. So, yeah. Are you going to use your, your own examples as things uh, not no. to do? I think my, no, no, I no. think my favorite, my favorite one, the one example that happened this fucking week in the group <laughs> where you typed something and someone like, do you ever regret calling yourself details? Your reply, never. <laughs> Fuck. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I see how I, I spot the E and the W. Yeah. And, and then also, I noted, what was it? Oh, uh, as you guys sent me your pod on Wednesday, in Friday morning, I put in the group, oh, this uh, ERB is a well-run machine. And then I suddenly remembered, oh, shit, I need to actually put this out. So, uh, I actually forgot. It reminds me, I'm going to still actually send you my email about the World Cup predictions. Oh, yeah, please do so. Yeah, I'll do it tonight. All I'll right. do it tonight or tomorrow morning. Okay. Are you the only one outstanding? Yeah, he is. I think so. So I'm still outstanding for, to be fair, and to, I'm still outstanding for Super Rugby. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, no, I forgot about that too. I think I, think I lost one. It would be interesting to see what predictions you could make now and see how accurate they are. Yeah, you have the most um, No, look, Ant, I mean, shit, there's a reason we asked you to come in now, because I think my predictions now, six months ago, that must probably still be roughly in line. Mm. <laughs> Although I see my one big call that I made, that Japan's going to beat Scotland. Fucking everyone thinks that now, so mm. I feel like I was a... I was a trendsetter for that, at least. Some sort of mini-influencer. Uh, right, I'm just glad that it's got to get the focus and not us. Um, yeah. yeah. But all the more reason for us, you know, I just don't want to face them in a quarterfinal because that'll be even more embarrassing than losing <laughs> in the group stages to Japan. And then uh, we can risk that. All right, let's, uh, let's keep moving. We're going to move on to uh, the fly half, the quarterback uh, of rugby, or as they say in New Zealand, the 5-8. Um, I, I think I've got to ask that 
Back, what does a fly half do? <laughs> so the fly half catches the ball from the scrum half, and then he has two options, either to give it to the 12 or to kick it away. Or to just, just score a try like Ben Barrett. Or score. Yeah, or to just score or, give it, so, or give it to so what is? So I was going to say, so if he's, if he's a Sharks fly off, generally he just, he just gives away possession because, I mean, what's the point of them having possession? They're just going to drop it in that humidity. So he does the smart thing and just hoofs it away. But yeah, no, so fly off, is, yeah, as you said, he's actually the general in that. So he's the one more often than not telling the scrum off the back line set at, at loose place so to throw it back to him or to give shovel it forwards to another loose for, uh, to another forward pod rather. He's not whether or not defensively they should rather just hoof it down the field than not gain territory like that and defend for a bit and get the ball back, hopefully in a better field position further up the field or if if it's on for them, if it is a bit of a mismatch to swing it down the line. So he is the player that's seeing a thousand. So he is the player that's doing that thing in end games where uh, Dr. Strange saw like 14 million futures and then decided on which one's the best one but yeah uh these are rugby players a lot of them have been hit in a few head a few times so that they're not seeing 14 million permutations they must probably running at about six on a good day okay. uh anything that uh matt missed out and no it's a pretty pretty succinct summary um i suppose the only thing is is to add oh. um, is that their channel def- uh, defensively is usually one of the most busy. Um, yes, so it really, really helps if your fly-off is a very strong defender. So if you look at someone like Pollard or like Owen Farrell, um, you know, these guys that are, they can stay in their channel and they can, you know, take down the big guys. When you've got someone like Elton Yankees or Bernard Foley, you know, guys that are traditionally really weak defenders, and then you basically have to rearrange your entire back line in defense to go hide the guy in the wing, and then you bring a wing in to defend at 10 or a center or something. Which yeah. works or fifties, but then the problem is as soon as you turn over the ball and suddenly you want to attack, your fly off is now hidden fifty meters away, and so you can't actually do anything. So it really does help um, to have a strong defensive fly off because it makes your turnover ball much, much, much more effective. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think and again, New Zealand always doing stuff. It's like what the what the hell? Uh, New Zealand are gifted with two outstanding fly halves um, in the shape of Bowden Barrett and Richie Mwanga. Um, and what uh, Hansen's done uh, is, is uh, just to re- rehash it. He's been starting Wanger at ten and Barrett at fifteen. But previously, Barrett often Anton Matt, you could correct me. I always found he often defended from fifteen anyway because he was so fast uh, in broken play. He's a threat uh, with the ball. So, uh, so in terms of defending, yeah, exactly. he's uh, a very very good returner of the ball yeah. from deep. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's the most dangerous. Yeah, so like he can catch a return. Like when I said that the opposing flower decides to hoof it for better field position, Barrett's the worst option to throw it back at for better position because you're going to be on the back foot then. No, and he, he's just blitz. Um, he, like you get guys who are quick who don't look quick. He just looks quick, and you just see guys disappearing. In the Especially background. when he's got that weird, that sort of not weird, but that strange sort of head down run of his. Yeah, that's true. Like when, yes. he, when, when he charges a gap, puts his head through it like <laughs> like a cyclist almost. And then, and like, then, like it's a strange like it's the least athletic looking running style where he's just got his head pointed down at the ground and he's just running like it makes no sense but he's so good at it yeah so I mean but yeah that's a big question whether this will work or not in theory it should New Zealand should score a, a shit ton of tries uh, Zushi Mwanga is at 10 he's great he's also a very brave defender 
Uh, and Barrett, Barrett always technically is a good tackler. He always tackles very well around um, like the ankles and that sort of thing. He's not going to be the sort of he's, guy. Who, yes, that's a big lad. I mean, he's you know, he's not small, yeah, he's not small he's, but he, he's not small he's not, by any. Yeah, and he's also had to pull his weight. I mean, he's got Scott in the family, and he's a small the fatter brothers. Yeah, yeah. So he's had to pull his weight because he's also the oldest, isn't he? Uh, uh, no, Kanan's Kane's older. Yeah, <laughs> the other so, Barrett. He was a flank. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the forgotten the, Barrett. The forgotten <laughs> Barrett, yeah. So, I mean, so, okay. But, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, he still had to pull his weight with, like, brothers who were physically bigger than him and yet younger than him. And, yeah, so I'm sure he's not He's not some soft. He's got. He's, he's had to take a cement pillow to oh, yeah. his life. Um, and, yeah, oh, Jen, so I was actually going to – I forgot to mention with Flowers. Uh, due to the fact that kick so much out of hand to position the team better on the field – they're generally the people who are the players who kick for posts. Just, just due to, I think, due to sheer, sheer practice experience factor um, in that sense. All right, then, moving to your 12 uh, or second 5 eighth. <laughs> uh, what about 11? Oh, uh, okay, actually, that makes a very good point. Yeah, uh, I immediately jump to center, which is 12. Uh, I think it makes sense to jump to center and then you do the yeah. wings and fast. Yeah, uh, okay. Why, right. why the li- okay, why... A wing is not like a 13 or a 14, for example, in your back three. That's also a very good question. Uh, I actually do not know the answer to it, but it is one of the very I think they just numbered. So if you just put all your back line, so if you put your, if you plot the 15 players on a field, you've got one, two, three in a line, four, five, six, seven, eight behind them. Then you've got nine, then you've got 10, and then you've essentially got 11, 12, 13, 14 in one line, which is incorrect, but. That's generally how they plot them, and then 15 at the back. Yeah, I, I agree. You're asking questions I've never actually thought about. Why the left wing is in 11? <laughs> and I wish I wish I'd done I, more research. I wish I actually had done. Stylistically, it makes sense. Sort of. Like, if you yeah, plot it on a piece of paper, it makes sense. It is weird that you go you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, which is actually kind of the 11 and 14 are kind of the same. It is a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're okay. 12. Uh, you're 12, again, uh, different nations treat this position differently, at least in, in, in recent history. I know, I'm sure back in the day, I, I don't know enough about the game pre, um, pre the professional apartheid era to, to comment on that, just many from what I've uh, recognized in the modern game. In South Africa, it's weird. Probably our best distributing 12 of recent times was Jean de Villiers, and then maybe prior to that, you had a guy like Yapi Mulder. He, he was a 12, wasn't he, in the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah. I think he might have been a 13. Anyway, I'm not going to say strongly either way. Yeah, yeah, no, or was it Robbie Fleck? He might have been a 13 too. Forgive me, my memory failed. Fleck was Reason, let me put it this to way. To be honest, many uh, mm-hmm. of our 12s have been renowned passers of the ball. Yeah. Like, they've all been much more runners than they have been yeah, distributors. We, we've always liked a, sort of a battering round 12. Yeah, like Andre Esterhazen, yeah. a big oak who's very good at running. People, the Islander, Damon D'Alander, our current 12. Uh, he's also Dallas really big. got the best boots in the game. He's really good at that three <laughs> Oh Jesus, but he's, he's terrible. But look, Frontstein, <laughs> Frontstein was a twelve in South Africa and won the uh, Rugby World Cup following the injury of John de Villiers, who was probably yeah. Probably so that's out. why Frontstein's quite unique because he's got the size of a battering ram twelve, but he's played a lot of his rugby at ten. So I mean, and, he, he and can pass the ball really well. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a hybrid. You know, he's Beautiful hybrid player that's got the size of the one but the ability of the other. You know, yeah. and he can kick and he you can just, You, you see, you've just used the word beautiful. So Alex has just thrown, when he listens to this on Monday, he's just hurled his phone or whatever yeah. across 
across his office. I, I said he's got the ability or has had the ability. He's not necessarily in form at the moment. Um, yeah, but you've, from, you've, from just, you've just crossed Alex's phone. But yeah, uh, 12, 12s are very, very important distributors, which uh, that's why Sonny Bill Williams has always been in and around the New Zealand team, due to the fact of his unique... He chicken wings. He's got his chicken wings out there. He can offload, even if he's got two guys tackling, and somehow he can give the ball to someone else, even if he's covered in a tackle. Uh, the reserve 12 in New Zealand, Ryan Crotty, uh, also a very good distributor. Uh, you generally need your 12s to be good decision makers, which always makes DDA's presence at 12 for us a mystery. <laughs> I guess he's the coach's player. He, he, he follows instructions. Uh, but that's he's tr- the best player we've got, but it's, he's not necessarily a very good player. <sighs> yeah. That's how I like to describe Delaney. He's, he's the right. best we've got, but that's not very good. Uh, but, high ceiling. And it's just due to the fact that after your 9 and 10, your 12 is most likely to see the ball the most or touch it the most. So hence, you generally need a player with good ball sense, hence Ryan Crotty, a uh, style player who could also play 13. Uh, they generally also play a very important role in distributing. Um, South Africa, we don't have a distributor 12. Ours is at 15, which we'll get onto. Um, and that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I, th- I know I, I don't want to uh, belabor the point, uh, but that's why I just used that example. We got DDA. Australia, they currently have Simon Karevi, who's slowly getting better as a 12. Was he a 13? No, I think he started... He's also much more. I mean, but if you look at your, a lot of your top 12s, they all started as battering rams, yeah. um, mm-hmm. like a Karevi, like a Nonu. But oh, over yeah. the years, they Nonu. gained that um, ability to pass and kick really well. So, I mean, I maintain that Nonu is probably the best 12 that's ever been because In the modern era, you know, he was such a threat hand. But I think of all time, you've never had a 110 kilo uh, 12 that can grubber and kick as effectively as Nonu. And, be, and plus, uh, he. I'm saying he's a ridiculous threat with ball in hand but he can also pop really subtle passes and do really like gentle kicks and stuff he's, no, um, he's so such a threat all around no you mentioned Nanu Phil just starts frothing at the mouth I know like he's coming on early on in the blues this season he just kept getting messages in the group what a legend Nanu you know he just kept saying over and over yeah. again uh, yeah, but the, to be fair I mean yeah plus plus he, made playing, <laughs> plus he made playing super rugby in, eye, in eyeliner cool yeah, that's true. Yeah. Admittedly, no one else has taken up that mantle, but he did make it cool. Yeah, but nobody <laughs> else could do it but Ma Nonu. That's why. No one else can call, no one else can call him out for it either. No. <laughs> Ma Nonu yeah. can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> it's not on a rugby field. Then at uh, 13, um, I'm glad you actually brought up Nonu. You made me forget because New Zealand, they had the same 12-13 combination at the 2011 and 2015. Uh, World Cups. And that 2015 side was probably one of the best sides ever assembled. You had Nanu, who was just a complete rugby player. But then at 13, you had a guy like Conrad Smith. South Africa, uh, pro- probably our best 13 was in recent times Jacques Verie. Um, but he's a very different player now to Lacanya Am, our current first choice 13. Uh, like Conrad hmm. Smith, you're 13. Um, look, uh, please correct me, guys, if I'm wrong. They play a very important role in defensive organization in ensuring that the uh, that there's the right sort of numbers distributed across the back line, depending on where the ball is. I know our 2007 winning team, Jacques Ferry, played a very important role. Apart from being excellent at defense, like he was very good, very good ball runner. He also played a bit in the wing, so he had those sort of skills. But defensively, he was a key cog in our defensive system. He's helping arrange the back line in the correct place. Conrad Smith as well. Uh, he was outstanding at that. He had a terrific rugby brain. Again, uh, New Zealand, all their players are genuine, incredibly gifted ball players. Uh, arranged the defensive line very well, um, and he just did a lot of the dirty work. You're 13, also the sort of guy who might be one of the backline players that arrives at rucks a bit more sooner compared to, uh, let's say, particularly if the ball's heading further out towards the wing. They're going to have to compete with rucks quite a bit, so a bit of physicality is required. Conrad Smith was very good at that, stealing ball. 
uh, as well. Uh, and now South Africa's current number 13. Weirdly enough, our number 13s often are better ball players than our 12s. Like we have Lukanyo Am, who I wish he was a 12, to be honest. He's he's a terrific ball player. Uh, very good hands, good pass to the ball. He's not a big guy either, which I also think is quite interesting. But then the polar opposite of him is on our bench, Jesse Creel. Who, uh, have you seen Jesse Creel, Nicola? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> what do they look like? I'll send a pick now on the rest of the hour. Google yeah. him after right. the pod. Yeah, yeah. I'll he's... send her a pick now. Yeah, he's like... Yeah, send me a pick. She'll get distracted and we'll lose, you know. We'll I don't know. I, I don't know. He's, he's just so ripped. It's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, Jesse's... Yeah, but he's got weird eyebrows. So if you oh. search Jesse Creel, like, when you hit images... He looks like a Kendall. Guys, guys, guys. So you search Jesse Krill and then you click on the images tab. What do you think the sort of suggested breakdowns uh, are? Like, you know, muscles? Jesse Body. Topless. Oh, is it? Body. It's the first one. Body is the first one. So you can <laughs> so, sort Jesse Krill pictures by body. Oh, yeah. He's topless in, like, all these pictures that come <laughs> up just as a standard search. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he. I yeah. think his future lies very much in, in uh, modeling or whatever it is. I don't. Yeah. What is, oh, remember that picture? Speaking of him, there's that picture on of them all on his, on flexing on that on, on Instagram. Yeah. But did you see what Wim Rugby typed? No. So he's like, yeah, Jesse Creel's got abs that you could grate cheese on, what 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 And then he's like, yeah, but someone. It looks like someone stole Fox calves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. No. Yeah, I'll find it somewhere. Like, Wim chirped Fuff so hard. I was like, yeah. oh, shit. Jesse just Thanks. so ripped. It's, uh, oh, Christ. He's just a, he's just a tank. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's your general 12 13. Uh, and, Matt, have you leave anything out? I, I'm sure there's a few subtleties I'm kind of missing out as well. well like I said, like I said, we've left my comfort zone. Okay. Well, yeah, right I mean, hand. I think my, my, my comment would be generally they're foils to each other. So if you've got a distributing 12, then you'll have quite a big, strong 13, yeah, and vice versa. If you've got a big crash ball 12, then you'll have a much better, um, you know, kind of a softer skilled 13. So, for example, New Zealand, they had a crash ball 12 with Nonu, and then they had the kind of softer skilled 13 with um, Conrad Smith. Whereas if you look at England, they're playing with Owen Farrell at 12, he's your second fly-off type player. Then they've got the big, strong carrier at 13. Um, which is why I think that the, the Jesse Creel Daniel Endy um, combination just doesn't quite work because they're kind of so, similar. They're both smart. runners. They're not, you know, neither of them is a distributor. Neither of them creates opportunities. Neither of them is smart. Yeah, which is why last year Wings didn't score any tries. Whereas this year with um, Am at 13, I think like 80% or 70% of our tries have come from Wings because he's getting that ball wide. Um, you've got to, the, 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 the centers have to be a foil for each other. Uh, you can't have two of the same player, which is why, again, for, for Australia now, when they tried Karevi and Kurandrani, two big Fijian guys, um, you know, the ball just doesn't work because they're both trying to do the same thing. You've got yeah. to have one that can run hard and one that can pass. Yeah, O'Connor. O'Connor coming back when they won in Perth. That was a very good example. Apart from his magical yeah. flow, he's just a very good distributor. Um, he's to... played a lot of 10, you know. Yeah, Karevi's come a long, a long way, but O'Connor's, and he's played a lot of 15 as well. So he's got so very good hands uh, as well. Uh, all right, well, then moving on to, I guess, 11, your left wing. And it's the distinction between left wing and right wing is something I've kind of a little bit, le- little less misunderstood. Um, your left wing, I guess the classic South African, recent South African example now is Brian Abana. Uh, from 2007. Your left wing journey is generally your finisher, a guy with a ton of pace. If he's got one to two men to beat, he'd be able to use a grabber or step people or use his speed to get around him to exploit space created for him. 
by the rest of the back line. Uh, Mafikazola Mapimpi now is South Africa's current 11, who is also, he's blitz quick. So that's your general, general traditional 11. Um, in your right wing, your 14, and again, you asked correctly, I've never really understood this distinction because it very much depends on the way a player goes. Your 14 is generally considered slightly better defensively. Um, they're going to be better tacklers, a little bit stronger as well, uh, apparently. Uh, I don't really understand this. Uh, but Supreme Corsi, you know, he's an outstanding finisher in his own right. He is a very recent example of 14. But South Africa have also broken the mold choosing Chosen Kobe. Kobe, sorry, Colby at 14. Who's, he's also, he's quite short, an outstanding tackler, but I think he's as dangerous as Mapimpi. Looking at New Zealand, uh, they've just remodeled their wings. Now they've got George Bridge at 11, who, I mean, he also played fullback. So that's uh, very good hands as well. Good, good boots as well. You ju- both your wings should know how to kick at least a little bit. Uh, and then Sergio Reese at 14, who arguably is more dangerous as a finisher than 11. So I don't really get this distinction anymore about that. Um, I'll start with you, Ant. Personally, your wings need... They both need to be good defenders. They can catch the ball because they get kicked to a lot. Uh, they need to be quick to exploit space. And uh, they need to be, have good positional sense as well for, for opposition kicks and that. So I don't really get why there is a, such a distinction, personally speaking, between the two. Um, it's because of the way the play evolves. So generally, most people pass a lot better from right to left. The passing the left way along the back line. So therefore, you're more likely to attack down the left-hand side, which is why your left-hand wing is generally your more striker finisher scores more. You know, So if you look at your top wings, such as Jonah Lomu or Shane Williams, Brian Banner, mm. you know, they're all left wings. Whereas if you think about if you're kicking, you again, most players are right-footed. So your more, more common kick is from right to left, which is then the other side's right wing. So that's why your right wing is generally the more... Um, secure player under the high ball um, and it also has to be defensive strongly because they have to defend against the left wing um, so yes of course it changes we've been scoring a lot more down the right hand side this year um, um, because of the way that we focus our play and again obviously with everything it always depends on the team and who they're choosing to play um, but traditionally your left wing is your more kind of uh, individualistically skillful scorer player and your right wing is more of a halfway between a wing and a fullback so they're a very strong finisher in their own right but they're you have a bit more skillful, you know, they um, can take a high ball really well. That's one of the key things of a right wing is to be good under the high ball. Um, yeah. But it, as you said, it does depend. You know, Sevi Reese is basically a left wing, but he's playing on the right. Naholo was definitely a left wing playing on the right. Um, yeah, whereas Colby's kind of, yeah, I would say he's probably more of a fullback, but he is yeah. quite strong. Um, and, you know, he's got skills of a left wing. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah, I was... So, it's not a hard and fast rule. Yeah. Uh, Nicola, I thought you were going to uh, ask a question or, or uh, chip in. No, no, no. I'm just just taking it all in. Yeah. <laughs> no questions at <laughs> the moment. Okay, good. No, all right. I felt uh, half my job here. Uh, when, Matt, when Matt hosts, for example, he, he, like every now and then, uh, when I hear a little whimper, because, you know, I get interrupted a lot. So I'm having a mini moan to you. Because you <laughs> don't, don't uh, listen to me. I get interrupted a lot. And especially by Ben addicts. They just drive over me, you know. But since they're not here. <laughs> since they're not here, I can make fun of them. Uh, my job is to ensure everybody feels included. Like Ant here and Matt as well. Right, guys? I'm making you feel included? Ne. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is... right, there you go. So, here. I'm sorry, I've gone local. Ne is yes, yeah. Oh, right. I see. No. So, oh. it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay. which is a lot of fun as a South African. So I've, I've, I've sort of seamlessly shifted into, cause you also like, when you get rhetoricals, like what Adam says, like, do you feel included? You're like, yeah, but it's not just yes. It's like affirmative. What you said is correct. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there's a lot of like, like conversations where someone just sort of sits yes. there nodding. Nah, nah, nah. But they actually are sort of actually taking an active part in a conversation, but it just seems rude to us. Uh, okay, let's, quick, let's quickly move on to 15. We're going to have to try to shoot through uh, a lot of the basic rules very quickly because we're running over. Jesus, this is like running into being a bit, bit long. Uh, you're 15, you're fullback. You're going to be in an episode too long that you can't even listen to at this point. Yeah, sorry, we don't know if we do want to take, to, take forever really pushing, pushing oh, over an hour and a half. Sorry? This problem. Huh? Alex is going to feel very justified that you know we're having this problem even without him. Yeah. Ben, I think, is going to take it, take it as, a, as a win for him. Oh, is it? I'm no, as a win. I'm, he's going to be... He's going to say, next time you try and cut off, and one more thing, or can I just say one more thing? And you're like, no, 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 we must move on. He's like, without my one more things, we've already hit this far. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it always goes going over me. Uh, fullback, you're 15. Um, talking about South Africa's current example, uh, Vili LaRue, uh, Jenny, or Jenny speaking at 15, needs to have a very good boot because they could kick to you a lot. Uh, very good at positioning themselves, depending on what the opposition are doing, because naturally they get kicked to you a lot. Um, uh, it helps if they got a good step and a bit of speed because they generally have more space to run into and to, ta- and to target gaps in the opposition defense as well. And interestingly, uh, decision-making, uh, I've alluded to it somewhat, they, it's incredibly important because they also get the opportunity to choose sort of where they want to position themselves within a back line. Now, obviously, depending on how teams structured, they might be uh, do it in a more regular position than not. But they, uh, they play a very important role in creating the extra man when deciding to choose when to join a normal attacking line. Also, there's a bit of risk and reward involved because if they decide to be in the attacking line and then they lose the ball, then they're out of position. Naturally, teams do compensate throughout with someone going backwards, etc. But uh, Vili LaRue, often you'll find him come in at centre uh, when South Africa attacks as a second playmaker, or if Pollard's not there, he'll come in, and he plays another important role in, in decision-making. Uh, prior to Barrett's move to 15, you had Ben Smith, who, personally speaking, we, uh, we all know... We all love him, as, as you very much want well to declare. Yeah, it's almost uh, a negative for, for, yeah. to have, like having Barrett and Moanga is almost like having, a ne- is almost a net negative than having Barrett or Moanga and Smith. Yeah, the Smiths are like a 6 out but of 10, 14. But I think that's a different... Smiths had more minutes at 14 in the last World Cup cycle than, than um, at 15. By the way, he's a way better fullback though, if you're watching for the Highlanders. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing. Uh, Arguing that, I'm just saying that the All Blacks have been playing him at 14, and you know, they've been looking to play a, a fly-off. So it's not, you know, it, the, the the Barrett move to fullback is not a new thing. That's just yeah, but they've always yeah. Well, that's always it's been the sort of. Mm. But yeah, um, it's, it's, you know, it's not a Moanga accommodation. Mm. And it's your a full- Dan McKenzie accommodation. Yeah, and your full yeah. your fullback also just needs to be uh, very good defensively, because often they're the last person in the back, standing in the they've way. They've also got to be. Yeah. I don't know if you can correct me, but I feel like fullbacks are also traditionally your guy who's best under the high ball. Know, like your safest yes. hand under the high ball. No, it's... it's yeah. uh, For talking to people who've actually played rugby, uh, I've been told it's the pressure where you want your most level-headed oak there. Because it's a very pressurized yeah. position. If someone gets through at the back line and you're the only guy standing in the way of their try, that's a lot of pressure uh, to do it. Yeah, so, they're very much kind of... Not glory players, but you know they're, they're, they don't involve themselves that much but the few things they do make a really really big difference you know they're often with Billy for example the last pass to score a try or they're the guy that stops a try or catches eyeballs you know so it's they've got to make really really good decisions um 
Whereas, you know, a scrum off got to make a million decisions, but if he gets it wrong, it's not the end of the world. Whereas a, a fullback makes a couple of decisions, mm. but if he gets it wrong, it has very big consequences. I think an interesting point is you generally find World Cup winning teams have experienced 15s at the back. England, 2003, Jason Robinson, uh, among among the great fullbacks. Um, Percy Montgomery, as well, he played, I think he played a lot of 12. But then he went away to Wales, yeah, then yeah. came back. Good kicking game again, an experienced player. 2011. Can we argue that? Who was 2011? Didn't Barrett play at 15? I think in in the uh, the in the 2015 World Cup, yeah. Uh, And then we forgot about Dan Carter at 10. But who played? Who played at fullback for New Zealand? In was it Molaina? Molaina, yes, Mills Molaina, very experienced. 2015, you had Corey Jane. Oh yes, you're right. Thank you, Corey Jane. Yeah, he switched between. Stayed on the wing. He did, but he also sometimes played at 15. Uh, every now and then, yeah, I think, I think defended a lot of there. A lot of play right wing. That's quite yeah. common. No, Corey Jane, well, yeah, he was a beast, though. Yeah, he's great. Um, uh, Dag. Sorry, Dag was 15 for that game. Oh, shit, Dag. Oh, oh, God, 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 Dag. I totally forgot about Israel Dag. Holy crap. Yeah, he was good as well. Jeez, like, no, sham. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was, up, he was good up until both his knees disappeared. Yeah, no, and he tried coming back. Oh, jeez, no, I forgot about Israel Dag, actually. I'm trying to remember New Z- uh, Australia's winning team in 99. Who I think it was Matt Burke. Yeah, he was a prototypical safe 15, though. Good boots, reliable. Yeah. 95, we had uh, Andre Joubert, the Rolls-Royce yeah. uh, of fullbacks. Uh, yeah, he was a bit more attacking, but great boots as well. I actually can't remember 91. That's Australia. That's going a bit too far back. I know oh, that's be... back and stuff. And that I, mean, we were... I mean, that's that's before you were born, isn't it, Ant? Yes. What? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Oh, I've born 92. Jeez, dude. <laughs> yes, uh, I feel so old. It's fun. Adam, sure. All right, look, that, that, that kind of sums up fullback. Now, look, we've, Jesus, we've run into an hour and almost three quarters now, and we're still meant to go through rules, etc. Uh, uh, we can do rules quickly. Yeah. Uh, well, the ball back. I mean, there's not much to say for rules, to be honest. Okay, well... Don't, think... pass, don't go ahead of the ball. Yeah. I think... I think offside because I think the most I think let's try and cover offside is offside for a bit because I think that's the most yeah, sort of where the the one rule that you can't intuitively pick up from what's going on on the field and also the breakdown uh, is important so let me go let me just go through very quickly yeah, uh, yeah Nicola please interrupt interrupt us uh, and I know you are listening with rapt attention but yeah if if anything pops <laughs> up yeah just let us know yeah well hundred no. percent um so yeah uh, just the basics naturally you must pass backwards or flat in a straight line. Um, in terms of what rugby world rugby calls a, a legal pass, uh, as long as the ball leaves the hand, uh, this is where there's always been a bit of a fuck up. As long as it leaves the hands with the ball pointing backwards, right? Then with the intent, clear, the clear. Your hands clear. are pointing backwards. Your yeah. hands must be pointing. Backwards. Yeah, but then in theory the ball is moving backwards. But let's say there's a lot of wind, it'll take it forward, which I don't know. Always leaves room for interpretation. But anyway, uh, that ensures. Hands that- take it forward. You're running forward. That's the momentum, yeah. Anything, you're running. anything that is moving at the same speed of you is going to keep moving forward as well. Yeah. So unless you pass backwards Science. far enough to overcome the forward momentum, it's going to move forward. Yeah. So yeah. pass the ball backwards. Um, if you drop the ball, obviously that's a knock-on, immediately leading to a scrum. If you kick the ball out on the full in between the two 22-meter lines, uh, so the middle area of the pitch, 
Um, if you do that, then on the full means with out of bounds. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, then it's immediately. Oh yeah, no. Okay, nice. And then it's a line out. <laughs> then it's a line out to the opposition team uh, in line from where the ball was kicked. If a player has the ball within those two twenty-two meter lines, passes it back to their own twenty-two meter line, it's it's called taken back. Uh, if you kick it out in the full, uh, then the same law applies as if it was kicked from within those two twenty-two meter lines, the fifty, the 50 meter area. Uh, if if you as a team receive the ball from the opposition or win the ball from the opposition within the 22-meter line and kick it out in the full, then a line-out takes place on where the ball went out. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the basics. Try, five points. Conversion, two points. Uh, penalty, three points. Drop goal. Uh, drop goal being... Actually, I have a question, Ant or Matt. If you uh, kick the ball... Let's say... If you kick the ball directly through the posts, I assume it doesn't count, without a bounce, bounce. what happens then? You're saying if you punt it through the poles? Yes, that's right, yeah. It'll go dead, and then you'll reset. Oh, so it's almost like yeah. a missed drop goal, or a missed kick. It's treated in that way. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's like... It's like kicking, it's like the same as kicking it over the dead ball line at the uh, back, okay. and it not going over the post. Uh, okay, okay, now that makes sense. All right, well, then a drop goal. Uh, you could kick a drop goal from any area in the field towards your post, but the ball then, by that definition, must touch the ground first before striking it. Uh, and then if you're able to achieve that... Uh, like Andy De Beer did in the 1999 quarterfinal against England, where he kicked five drop goals? Was it four? Mm-hmm. Um, th- then, that, then that's three points. Uh, as well, then also you get a penalty try. A penalty try is where an infringement is deemed to have stopped. I don't know if we're going to use the word certain, but there was a, an incredibly high likelihood that a try would have been scored. Uh, and an active foul play or one that broke the rules stopped that. So the And this is a recent change. Uh, it's generally foul play of some kind. Yeah, uh, like slapping it's the ball. It's got to be foul play that present, prevented an almost certain try. There you go, thank yeah. you. Almost certain try. That's seven points. Uh, previously, the uh, kicker would have to kick it through the poles, uh, but now they're just awarded seven points straight away. Yeah, you'd, you had, it would, you'd had to kick it, uh, but you'd kick it from as if the try had been scored in the middle of the post. Another key thing that people get yes. is the penalty oh. try has to result in a yellow card as yellow well. Yellow card as well, like mm-hmm. Ausdrak Putchita. Yeah. That's the moment. It has to be a yellow card. So, Nicola, uh, you're going to say something? So, so with a penalty try, you get seven points. Yes. You don't have to convert yeah. it yourself. No. no. You just yeah. get a straight seven points and the other opposition lose a player. Yeah. So, they make yeah, an assumption that you would have kicked it over. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, so, they, they had just. So, the, a penalty yeah. try is had. So penalty try sort of puts you in the best case scenario had the other opposition team not infringed in some way. Yeah. Right. That they make the okay. cost they make the cost extremely high to uh, try to stamp out uh, foul play. Same as uh, if you one weird thing interceptions if a player tries to intercept an opposition pass and they've made this very strict now uh, if in generally it's the benefit of the doubt goes towards foul play. Um, yeah, if, you so do, if, you do not, yeah, if you do not catch a ball properly in terms of an intercept, a penalty is immediately given against you as an act of foul play uh, because also slapping the ball down, uh, killing play immediately is deemed foul play um, because that could stop try-scoring opportunities and momentum. And, and Matt, please correct me if I'm wrong. Tripping, you're not allowed tripping a player with your feet. Why is that, Ant? I know it's dangerous, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. it's not sportsmanlike, <laughs> one. Yeah, you just can't. Trip people, like. <laughs> no, but no, no, careful now. You say we can't trip people, but an ankle tap, yeah. everyone applauds. You're allowed an ankle tap you, with you your hand. You can't tackle people with your feet. Yeah, because you it's 
You can't kick Adam essentially you can't kick you can't a player, you can't strike a player. Because you you can't wrap your legs like you wrap your arms safely to tackle yes. a player. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um I'm just trying to think what so else look at tripping as rather as kicking, striking. So like mm. extend it to the weirder version of or the like the ridiculous sort of definition of what it's doing. So and if you look at it like that, then you can break it down. So like a kick like to trip someone, you sort of kicking at their feet, so you're striking at them with your feet. Okay. Um, and in terms of the feet and the ball, your feet can kick the ball uh, forward, uh, which your hands cannot, uh, obviously. Um, and I was just trying to think uh, what else is there. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch. Your head, your head counts as your head can count as a kick as well. Oh, that's so what you I can to... header the ball forward. Yes. I also wanted to know what counts as the hands. So, like a ball, uh, I know in our, our test against New Zealand where we scored, the ball hit Yankee's head, then his shoulder, which was deemed not touching it with his hands, obviously. But where, and maybe you'd know best, Matt, where does the yeah. hand end or begin? So, if the ball strikes, it's not deemed as a knock on. I think it's like above the elbow or on yeah. the shoulder. I think it's about. So like when Lumpy scored that try and it hit his chest, that was perfectly yeah. legal. Yeah, no, that's perfectly uh, legal. If it, if it strikes your bicep, I, I think that's probably okay. I think I think it's probably from your elbow downwards, probably. Yeah, I assume so. And yeah. some of the yeah, so anywhere where you, anywhere where you could realistically try and control yeah. the ball, like your forearms, you can still yeah, sort yeah. of get a bit of a cradle going or propel your forearm to sort of point the ball in a certain direction. Um, manipulate the ball maybe. What? No, the, not, yeah. I've just seen I'm your message. I've just seen your message and in the group about me reading the rule book verbatim. I don't have a rule book in front of me. <laughs> so fuck you. you just <laughs> you speak very well then. Yeah. Very just... <laughs> I thought that you studied what Alex did. No, I, 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 what, did, what did Alex study anyway? No, law. Alex studied law. Uh, no, I didn't do law. No, I did How do you not know this? Um, I forgot clearly. Okay, then. Oh, very important when it comes to also, scoring tries. Also, to be fair, and to assume Adam is reading verbatim from a source is also uh, it, it's a, uh, fair, it's a, a fair, fair assumption. I nearly did bring up a rule exactly, book, that's... but I feel like the rule, <laughs> I, I feel like the rule book is, almost gets as confusing um, as if you're just trying to explain it. In, yeah, because the language in the rule book's very, yeah. it's very it's, legally. It's, yeah, well, to, they even engage the project to make it read better. So many gray areas in rugby. I think that's generally that problem with rugby is that because there's so many moving parts in any situation also, um, we, there's so much gray area about what happens and so therefore the rule book's got to try and specify every little bit of sub um, incident within an instance you know if you tackle a guy but then your hand does this and your left foot does this but then you wiggle your ear then the outcome <laughs> could be slightly different so it's, they've got to try and be very specific yeah. about it, which makes it very confusing and that's why I think rugby's got one of the longest rule books because there are so many intricate parts and intention and movement whereas you know in soccer if you touch the ball with your hand it's either touching your hand or it's not rugby you can tackle a guy but then your foot can swing around and his, hit his head or something it's um, <laughs> also something worth mentioning there's also a very clear terminology rugby doesn't have rules it has laws ah yes you, you are correct which are open to interpretation whereas rules aren't open to interpretation so re- yeah, so there's also that aspect and why I think rugby laws are so sort of broadly written and have so many little subsets and shifts in that mm-hmm. is that they that's, keep trying to every and court cases and you know yeah, so every right. time yeah. 
Yeah. One very important rule in terms of when you score try, and this is something we've always argued about, downward pressure and control. So when you go over the, the try line, um, need, you, you, need, you, need, you need to put downward pressure, fine. But then the definition of control, I'm really not sure about this. In, like in you, don't control. Control. you just need downward pressure. So yeah, not control. The control's gone now. So as long, as long as there's never a gap between you going in that process of you going down, as long as there's okay. never a gap between the ball and your hand. Yes. No, no, no. I've seen one or two where, the, where... So if the ball touches the ground before the gap's closed again. Sorry. Yeah, that's a knock-on. Yes, well, then that's a knock-on. Yeah, that's a knock-on. That's, and, yeah, but see, that's Nicola, where you pass control. It can give damn confusing at, at the moment. We, we talk, yes. We're talking about millimeters. If the ball goes forward and touches <laughs> anything else, if the ball goes forward from you and touches anything else, it's forward and it's a knock-on. It's very simple. If it touches, yeah. if, it, if oh, the sorry. only thing, it, if you touch it and then <laughs> sorry, touches nothing else, yeah, touches you again. It's very simple, guys. It's very simple. <laughs> so. If it leaves your hand and touches anything else, the ground, a pole, a person forward then it's a knock-on yeah okay. if you touch it and then the only thing that the next thing to touch it again is you then you're still in possession the entire time so in this example if you're going to score a try the ball goes forward out of your hands and hits the ground and then you touch it that's a knock-on because it went forward if you catch it again and then you put it down then that's perfectly fine yeah, but the TMOs never refer to that as a knock-on they always say the player lost control of the ball yeah. before scoring the try Okay, that's stupid terminology, though. So it is a knock-on. I agree with you 1,000%. An outcome is a knock-on. Or went forward and touched something else. All right, let's move on to just... Let's not get bogged too much down into the rules here. We've lost the news. We've lost the news completely. We're going to focus on three aspects of the law. Offsides, foul play, and also just the ruck in general. So offsides, yeah, that, I that sounds good. I have I've really liked. It. All I know is it's the last man's feet. Draws actually, it, I actually have no idea. Uh, yeah, and can you try explain offsides? I kind of get oh it God. in practice, but uh, it depends it where you are. So off the set piece, there's set rules. So at a scrum, the rule is you have to be five meters away from the back of the scrum on both sides. So there's obviously the eight guys, and then there's a five meter gap between the scrum and the next player on each side. A line out the same concept. There's the players in the middle, and then you have to be 10 meters away from um, the line-out on each side. At a ruck, it's wherever the last man's feet are. So the ruck is the thing. So it's exactly the same as a scrum. You just don't have a five-meter gap. So instead of you standing five meters away, you just stand in line with the back of it. And the only other time where offside is really a thing is you can't be in front of someone that last played the ball. So if I kick it, you can't be in front of me when I kicked it. Um, if I knocked it on, you can't be in front of me when I when I knocked it on and then keep playing. You have to go back behind the guy that last touched the ball. But then at a ruck... Yes, yeah, sorry, Nicola, please go ahead. But like, okay, so if the guy kicks it, though, and you're in front of the guy, if you come back behind where he was, then you can play it. Yeah. Yes, or if he comes yeah. past you. So if he kicks it and you stand still, he runs past you, then you oh, can yeah. carry okay. on. But the point is you, you're not allowed to go towards the ball until you're on side, until but, you're back legal. And that can either be by going yeah. back behind the guy or him going in front of you. So, but even at a ruck then, so is it a, like, let's say at a tackle, a guy gets tackled, hits the floor, and you're the defending team, right? The defending team, like, like the try line's a bit different. They can't go any further back. But let's say it's in the midfield. Aren't they, like, behind the last man's feet or something like that? Yeah, so that's at the ruck. So the oh, ruck right. is the entire body of players there, right? Yeah. Yes. 
So you just have to be behind that. So where, where all so the bodies the are, the... where all the bodies are, you have to be behind the last body part. Whatever the last part. Exactly. The same as a scrum. Oh. So it's, imagine it's the same as a scrum, except instead of there being a five meter gap, you just have to be behind it. You know, so whatever the last bit of the person is, as that is part of that object, the ruck, you have to just be behind that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the one, the one mm-hmm. thing I can say is why referees well, attempt to police unless you are Richie McCaw or, or New Zealand who every now and then get close to invisibility <laughs> because they play dirty. <laughs> no, they just... They just New <laughs> of Zealand, course. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand, well, I was, New Zealand are probably the ultimate gamesmanship team in world rugby. I mean, if you ever want to be the best, you push the laws to their limits. Uh, the reason referees police it so much is if you can get ahead of the last man's feet, it cuts down the amount of time the attacking team has to play with the ball, uh, kick it, throw it, pass it, um, which is just why it, it, it kills the spirit of the game if you allow a team to get in front of it offside line uh, too much because it gives the attacking team less opportunity to use the ball to attack. Also, ruining, not ruining the game as a spectacle, but it just makes it harder for teams to score uh, as well. So that's why these laws... Are in place, which is the point. Yeah, and I thought, okay. I, yeah, I, yeah. I just they try to police it. That's why I think. And then the symbol for those who I said this is probably for noobs. When the referee calls offside, put points his arm back out. Uh, that's why I respect referee. Refereeing is really hard. He just like puts his hands in front of him uh, to like draw a line. That's when a team is playing. Uh, they're offsides. They're, they're too close to the ball in a sense. So that's offside. I actually felt that made a lot of sense, uh, either it can be confusing. Now, something that I is... think with examples on the field, we'll still not understand offside. Yeah, I, I was going to say now the ruck, the ruck area. Um, this is my basic understanding, right? And I know the law changes. A ruck is whenever, <laughs> let's say you've got player A, team A player, and team B player, uh, team A guy gets tackled by the defender. He hits the ground. Okay, so <laughs> then... When he hits the ground, let's say, I know that the tackling player, he's allowed to get up and try and steal the ball. But does, okay, this is where I start getting confused. Can he steal it anywhere? Or does he have to come through the He's the last feet. His feet are literally the last so they've feet. Cha- so the rule now is that a ruck is formed as soon as one player from either side is there. So a tackle gets made and yeah. one player from either side is there. The first player so to get as, there. As soon as a third player involved. Or fourth. Uh, no, not necessarily. I'll explain why. Okay. The first player to arrive is allowed to play the ball with their hands. The first player from both sides. That player can be a third player, as Matt says. Okay. Or it could be the tackled player. Okay. But that yes. player has to enter from you know his side of the field. So a tackler is allowed. So previously a tackler could get up and just play the ball from anywhere. Yes. Now the tackler has to get up, go back around to his side, and then come in what they refer to as the gate, but it's basically just you have to come from your side of the field. Um, so a ruck is formed as soon as some one player has come through the gate, whether that's the tack- tackler or a different guy from either side. That's Wait, the current rule. When he's trying to steal the ball. No, 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 it just comes through. So if, if I, you know, I can just come and ruck, ruck over. I don't have to play the ball. And as an attacking uh, rucker, you know, I'm not going to play the ball. I'm going to step over it and secure it. But... As soon as one other player has arrived to that situation, sorry, as soon as one player has is on their feet in that situation, it is a ruck, whether they're playing the ball or not. So, no, so if it's just as soon as stands, is that including the curious, tackler? If a tackler standing up, he's fine, right? Yeah. He doesn't necessarily have to shrimp. That's not a ruck. Not a ruck. He stands up and then goes to, you know, comes through the gate and play, either plays the ball or, or tries to go over. Then it becomes a ruck, and then you have an offside line. Yeah. Uh, but but the, doesn't the tackler have the right to steal the ball? And when it's a clear ruck, you can't steal the ball anymore. 
That's what's confusing. First arriving player can play the ball. Oh, oh the first arriving player, not necessarily the tackler. It doesn't have to be the tackler, or it can be the, if the tackler can get up and get the ball Fuck, through the gate before anyone sense. else can, then it, then he's allowed to play it. Okay, well, uh, yeah, did that make any sense to you, Nicola? I, uh, not really, no. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, I know what Ant's talking about. I very much do. But it make, that doesn't make sense to me that you've got the attacker, defender, boom. They have a tackle, hit the floor, but then the defender forms a ruck. Then it's like, wait, then in theory he Only... can't, t- can't take the ball. The old rule was no. a little better where the tackler just essentially had to yes, give yes. daylight. So, yes, well, exactly. my favorite example is Flo, who used to just... Tackle, clap, and then go for the ball yeah. to show that he'd let go, released. Oh, that's important too. Yeah, you have to. Uh, once, it, uh, if you're an attacking player, you're running with the ball, you get tackled, and you hit the ground. Uh, in theory, anyway, uh, you have to let go of the ball. Correct. If you if you've hit the ground and give the, and give yes. the the tackler the opportunity to steal it, unless a player arrives. Because previously, what I understood a rack to be is say, let's say you have a tackle. Um, when you think you have a third arriving player, that's when it's clear to me. Another guy rocks up, forming a a contest for the ball. Over. That is that is that. So that's what they changed. Remember in the uh, Italy England yeah. game. Yeah. Because what was happening a... is the Italians weren't joining. They weren't going to the ruck. Yeah. So then it yeah. was never a ruck. So then they yeah. could just stand wherever they wanted. Yeah. So what they've changed the law now is the first person to get there makes it a ruck. So whether that's the yeah. tackler who's getting up and going to the ball, or whether it's a third player. Either way, there's now a player standing standing at the ruck situation. Then it's a ruck. But yeah, this is. I think you're kind of referring to more the formation of the offside line, not necessarily a yeah. ruck situation. That's two different things. See, Nicola, this is why rugby mm. can be a fuck up sometimes. No, but, but I think without, those are two different things. I mean, so. You can't have one, but Adam, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, but there are two separate things though. You need an offside line, but in a ruck, you can't play a ball in a ruck though. The teams get penalised for it. That's what's confusing. No, you can. No, no, no. You Adam, can play the ball if you're the first very person very there. If you're the first person there, so if you're the first supporting player from Team A, the tackle, tackled player's team, yes. or the tackler, or a supporting player from the tackler's okay. team, whoever comes through one of the two gates first, which these two gates are imaginary. No one's actually set up these gates, so they're an infinite plane, yeah. just behind the tackle <laughs> on either side. And whoever's there first is allowed to play the ball as long as he supports his own weight on his feet and not oh, his yeah. hands. That's true. Yeah, you can't do it on your knees. Uh, you do I, think I, and I, think, I don't know if I can try and explain it more. No, no, no you've clearly. done. I, think, I get I think, it. I think that's, that, that's as good as you can get. It's yeah. Base, yeah. It's no, the first it. person can play the ball, but he has to come from yep. his side. And that person can be a tackler or someone else. Yeah. And then as soon once... as that person's there, then there is an offside line. Yeah. I think that's... Yeah, the there's, quickest three different, there's three different people who can be the first person. It's yeah. either a first defender there, the tackler, or yeah. someone from the tackler side. Um, yes. And then, once a ruck is formed, um, a team can't then reach through the, the bodies, essentially, and take the ball. But what they, and then, and yeah. you would know better, what they can do is, collectively, they can drive through their gates, uh, through their side of the field, and try essentially push all the bodies out the way, uh, and ruck over the ball to try to steal it. Because naturally the other team... Cleaning. Cleaning. Yeah, cleaning out. That's cleaning. Yeah, so cleaning you can out, push, going... push the other team off. So if the ball's at a certain point, you can push everyone else away from it, and then suddenly your guy can see the ball. If you know what I mean? If you can push everyone else out yeah. the way and the ball doesn't move, 
then the ball's on your side and you can it's yours. Yeah, and this is yeah. what the forwards do a lot of at those rack situations. Essentially, you're just playing a body hamburger, just like pushing Oaks out the way and trying to throw people off the ball in, in different manners. Um, one thing with, with tackling, before we move on to foul play, I guess it'll be a bridge to that. When you tackle a player, uh, you cannot turn them through, what do you call it, the vertical. Is that correct? And? You can't lift them up and put their shoulders lower than their hips. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Because the reason they do so is um, it increases the high risk of neck injuries. If, if a player yeah, because you'll, la- you'll land on your neck at that point. Yeah. And, and no, yeah. Matter, no matter the intention now, if a player does that, they're generally given a yellow card as is deemed as a dangerous play. Uh, and in terms of tackling as well, um, you cannot – a tackle, you must use your arms. And, uh, guys, please correct me. When you, you tackle a player – Yes, a wrap. Must not just miss, have to go around. Wrap your arm. Yeah, your arms have to go around. You can't around. slam the player with your arm, and that's still technically using yeah, your, your arm. Your, your arm has to go around the player. Yes, and no part of your, uh, no part of, I think your shoulder, uh, knee, elbow, uh, maybe even your head. I guess they, they cannot make contact with the opposition player's head. But that's deemed as also dangerous play. Uh, I'm not quite sure about the arms itself. Oh, there's something called a swinging yeah, arm. You can't do that either. Where it's no, well, that's like... what we were saying about wrapping. Oh, wrapping. Saying, your arm has okay. to go around and you can't have a straight arm. But yes. just to simplify the high tackle rules, it's very, very simple now, is if the contact starts below the neck and then touches the neck or head, it's a yellow card. Yeah. If the first contact is the head, it's a straight red. Yeah. So, but you can't touch a player's head at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, rugby, yeah. Yeah. Rugby. Sorry. extremely scared of being sued uh, with the rugby authorities, like in NFL, uh, where there's a class action suit launched against the NFL due to concussions and the long-term damage of concussions. Uh, that's why rugby places a huge emphasis now on uh, HIA head injury assessments, uh, where a player goes off to check for a concussion. Uh, they have, I think, a window of 10 minutes to sort themselves out. I think it's the same that applies to uh, where blood is spilt on the field. They have 10 minutes to stitch up the wound and the player can come back on. Um, so that's concussion. Now, foul play. What's foul play? In brief. Oh, I'm a fuck. There's a long list of this. It's, I don't think we need to. The main, the main things that you're going to see people blown up for are offsides and high tackles, which we've already, um, or dangerous yeah. tackles, which we've spoken about. Yes. Swinging down. Uh, knocking the ball yeah, down. Hits. Slapping the ball down. Something you'll see, and then something you'll see a lot of, but I don't think we're going to explain is scrum penalties. Oh, um, and grass cutters, grass cutters, grass cutters. Yes. What's that? So okay, you can't dive into a player's knees. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Dive, especially yeah. without wrapping your arms. You've also, to, when it's, it's yeah. stu- when you can it's wrap the your same arms around. Type of thing is you, you can tackle someone's <coughs> knees, but you have to tackle them. You use your arms. You can't just put your shoulder into someone's feet. You can't just dive over in front of someone. Um, but yeah, so that's the most common penalties you'll see is for offsides or illegal, like being illegal at the ruck. Um, again, let's, I don't think we should talk about that too much because inevitably there's four or five different defenses at once yes. at any ruck and the ref can kind of pick and choose which one he thinks is the most relevant. Um, I suppose that's a general comment is that there are so many rules in rugby. Um, and so it's very, very difficult to police everything all yeah. the time because you know, it's a professional sport. Everyone's going to push the laws a little bit. So at any given situation, there's going to be five things wrong. And you kind of, as a ref, have the ones that you feel are the most important um, or the ones that the World Rugby will mandate are the ones that need to get the most attention. And those are going to get blown more often than others. Um, you know, so holding players off the ball, that's a very common thing that happens. Um, yeah. so obviously, you know, you're not allowed to 
interfere with players when they don't have the ball, but holding players at the rack or kind of subtly blocking them. That's very, very common play, but it's not um, blown very often because it's relative to the other things. It's quite subtle. Um, yeah. But yeah, inevitably, and, uh, there's going to be lots of occasions where you see someone commit a foul and you know it is illegal and everyone would agree it's illegal, but there's something more illegal happening at the same time. You kind of just need to accept that that's part and parcel of the game. Yeah, and yeah, but it's also it's also part of everyone at the at the pub then with you can all complain about yeah, that unblown the, fixture. The bad, it creates camaraderie amongst all of you yes, at the pub. You the, know, the, 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 the bad referee. You know. And the the laws are even governing uh, lineouts and scrums. Jeez, I mean we could do separate pods on those alone. And the dark art of scrumming, which Matt Mac could tell us all about, like not scrumming well, I think we, and wheeling. I think you guys Jesus. speaking about the dark arts of scrumming. I think a nice little just sort of uh, intro course was the discussion when I was off uh, that Alex had about the old Argentinian scrum. Yes. Yeah. Well, we were. It was a bit of a nice little insight. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and it, and it, how that's not changed quite a bit as well. Yeah, you must just check it out. Uh, that that episode too. I actually can't remember which one it is, but it is true. Uh, it was I, literally last week. Uh, uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Um, okay. Uh, Nicola, do you have, I think, look, let's stop there. Uh, because we started, and I must apologize. I just, like, I mean, I got stuck in the weeds talking about rucks. Um, and, and this, this is the reason why rugby at times has, has trouble being accessible, but sometimes these laws are not clear and f- clear and steadfast uh, compared to football, for instance, where generally speaking, it's a bit more straightforward and easy to understand, making it more accessible to the public. Um, do you have any questions or insights or just pointers or, or thoughts? Um, not to share? Yeah, is, is a ruck and a mall the same thing? No. Uh, the ones above the ground and the ones below the ground. So imagine them being the same thing. But what do you the mean below the, the ground? <laughs> so on the Sorry, ground. On... One's <laughs> body's lying on the ground and one everyone's standing up. Oh, okay. But effectively, okay. just kind of think about it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, all everyone one, is standing up. Because in the one everyone's standing, they can obviously move around and they can walk with it. But like imagine it being the same thing. Okay. All right. Um... So going back to this foul play thing that you were saying about intercepts earlier. Yes. So if you're genuinely like trying to catch it as an intercept, mm. but it drops out of your hand, is that a foul? Or is it just if you're trying to smack it down? Uh, smack it down? There's been like some discretion. But generally, yeah, generally, a yellow card and a penalty. Yeah. But occasionally... Um, you know, they'll be a bit more lenient. It's generally the way that they assess it is if the ball goes up out of your hands, then they'll just blow a knock on. But if the ball goes downwards out of your hands, then they right. say it'll be a, a yellow card. Yeah, that's, it, that's kind of the, the loose rule they apply, but there is a bit of uh, room for discretion. Yeah, um, I, my feeling is they generally lean towards penalizing, giving a penalty. And, yeah, because it's and difficult it to infer, yeah. infer intention into a player in that moment. Like, Every player will argue that no, they genuinely thought they were going to intercept the ball or whatever. So yeah, that's, I think it's only that's in why they answers when they will they go for a knock on. Yeah, yeah. I think they infer. Okay. If it's a penalty, then it's foul play, so then it's a yellow card. So yeah. it can it does often come across as a lot harsher um, than it needs to be. But that's just by virtue of yeah the nature of the rule itself, not so much. Okay. Yeah, it's the same with it's the same with penalty tries. I mean, those. I mean, how often are those also penalty tries in the end? 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Indeed. Like it's often not something that warrants a, a, a yellow card, but because of the rule it is. You know, it can be quite an innocuous high tackle, but then it suddenly becomes a yellow or a scrum penalty. You know, that can oh, be God, that yeah. yellow card, which is not really yellow cardable, but yeah. the rule. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it does it does make sense, but only because I've watched games of rugby before. If someone was listening to this who's never seen rugby before, none of that's going to make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible to paint a word picture on like what 30 no. men on a field are doing right now. Yeah, like what a ruck looks like, which is uh, just ridiculous. Um, a ruck looks like a heap of guys. <laughs> yeah, just like and then just one guys joining it. Yeah. Um, okay, look, that's gonna. I think that's gonna wrap up um, our discussion. Um, I must say. So, Nick, do you have any any other questions, by the way, uh, beyond beyond? That uh, no, no. I think that's okay. Yep. No. Well, then, uh, may I just thank you? Um, I think we'll just quickly do sure. the um, game blam game of the week. Um, who, who should that go to? Uh, Nicola. I feel like a year. Nicola can okay, choose. So yeah. Then I guess choose who, who we should blame for this week for the for the blam game. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so relieved. I thought you were going to choose me. Nicola, this was your big moment to give it to Adam. <laughs> for some reason. I know, but the problem was he actually said it right for like the first time ever, so I didn't want to be like, you know, oh. kick him when he'd actually done something really well. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, okay, well, then maybe we won't, we won't give one uh, uh, this week. We'll okay, give one to book. Yeah, yeah, we'll say the rule book. And I, I, actually, I think they went even, Ward Robbie went on a path to simplify the language. Like, they cut it down. Uh, just has, has that finished? I knew they were trying to do that. It is they, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's... No. I want to give... Adam, I want to give a Heroes Hero from Heroes Season 1 to Ant for coming in on the fucking 8th yeah. hour to join the pod after Ben pulled the record last night. Yes, yeah. Ah, more than a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Ant. Thank again. God you're here to explain racks. Um... <laughs> <laughs> very much appreciate it um, yeah, thank Nicola, you. Nicola thank you thank you so much uh, for joining us no worries. Um, and thank you thank you just for uh, it's, uh, what's the word I think uh, damn it I've, I've actually lost it oh, just for uh, tolerating us as we yam it on uh, <laughs> about the rules we're no very, worries we very, very much appreciated your presence um, and uh, at some point in the future it'd be great could be great to have you back on uh, and as, as Matt already said thank you uh, for joining us and just uh, especially at the last minute but also providing what I would say is some cracking analysis at least on the rules itself uh, and the game very much appreciate also just also your comments regarding uh, Gareth Thomas as well it just adds a bit of context yeah. much needed uh, in, in, in a very important topic and uh, Matt uh, just thanks thanks for putting in I guess you know just the usual yeah yeah you're welcome yeah oh thanks guy it's the first usually you like to say it's chill that's the first time I've ever said you're welcome I'm like a proud dad when, when your baby says "dada" for the first time. You know that's that's a good comparison. So I'm acknowledging baby. you, I'm Adam. You're seen for a change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, if you're happy listening, thank you so much uh, for listening. We will be. I think there was talk in our group on Wednesday with the World Cup kicking off on Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the big day is nearly upon us. So on, on Wednesday, I think we're going to have a preview. Uh, episode of some of the games coming up, of course, including Saturday's humdinger between South Africa and New Zealand. And uh, yeah, there might be a stat attack. As I said, they don't tell me about these things. But we'll probably hear, hear from us on Wednesday. Otherwise, Saturday, Sunday, I'm not quite sure what time we're going to do it. Definitely include Saturday's games. If we're lucky, we'll try to do Sundays too. So if you have been listening, thank you very much. Catch us next week.